0: to trinity radio and i'm only now remembering on this inaugural episode of biblical rogues gallery that i was going to let jonathan intro the show so jonathan
1: well you ruined that anyway (laughs) welcome everybody to our first inaugural biblical rogues gallery we have quite the lineup tonight you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy (laughs) in this panel we have with us tonight we are going to be going through the book of Romans on Thursday nights. And we hope to have uh, a mixture of regulars and guests tonight. We've got a special guest that we'll introduce here in a moment, but first we want to go around the horn, introduce uh, MJ Jackson's with us tonight. MJ, who are you and what do you do? Um,
2: Well, grace and peace to the, um, the panel of guests and grace and peace to the, to the chat. I'm, uh, yeah, like you said, MJ Jackson. I am in Tyler, Texas, but I'm from the Fort Worth area. Uh, I have a YouTube channel where we talk apologetics, uh, urban apologetics, uh, political theology, practical theology, public theology. So we talk a little bit about everything and we're just seeking to uh, apply the biblical worldview to all areas of life. And so that's Well, my channel is known for uh, my co-host on my channel is uh, Chris Samuel. He's not here tonight, but he might pop in one of these days. Uh, But he he's a a, a regular on the channel and uh, nice to nice to meet you, you, all, all of you guys and glad to be here.
1: All right. Our special guest tonight is Layton Flowers, who's probably not a stranger to the folks on this channel. He's appeared. Layton, tell them a little bit about what you got going on these days.
3: Yeah, well, as you said, I'm Layton Flowers. I'm the director of evangelism, evangelism and apologetics for Texas Baptist. Um I also am a, a professor at Trinity Seminary, the best seminary in the world. Amen. And Amen. Whoo, <laughs> And uh some people know me from Sociology 101 where we broadcast about sociology, specifically about the doctrine's uh, called provisionism in contrast to what is known as Calvinism or Reformed theology, where we uh, the- theology geek out on the doctrines of God's grace and his goodness and um, salvation. And that gets a little bit contentious sometimes because it's between uh, you know a debate over a uh, contentious subject matter. But I like to remind people that that's just a side thing that I enjoy doing. But I, I love just getting with uh, brothers like this and talking about all kinds of things as well. So thanks for the invitation.
1: Yeah, uh, I saw a rumor that you seem to have no life outside of talking about this subject, even though you have four kids, you have uh, a wife that you love dearly, a full-time job, you preach in churches on a regular basis, and sometimes, yes, the one-string banjo. banjo,
3: Yeah, that's my one-string banjo right there, baby.
1: Every now and then you talk about soteriology on a YouTube channel bigger than all of ours. Anyway, we also have (laughs) Will Hess. (laughs) Will. Hey, wow. hi, sorry.
4: Uh, if, right when the stream, the countdown ended, it kicked me. So I think that was Braxton just trying to get rid of me. Yeah. But, he uh, was was jealous. Jealous. He,
3: was, he, he was jealous of your beard, Will.
4: It's, it's true. And it's mainly because my beard is be. far better than his. Also, I have hair on the, also the right. top it's of my head. Hey, 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 hey,
0: hey. <laughs> and you know what? I kicked MJ a second ago and I'll, and I kicked you and I'll oh, kick yeah, you true. again.
4: Uh, anyway uh, my name is Will Hess I am uh, in ministry actually I work with Pastor Brett uh, who's above there uh, hanging out with Braxton but I also am the host of the Church Split YouTube channel and podcast you can find us at the Church Split Uh, I'm usually accompanied by my co-host as well Brian Bodie and he might who knows uh joined us from time to time but he uh normally him and i do our streams monday night so you can come check us out there we talk about literally about anything from church hurt to apologetics to theology to basically anything that can be divisive in your church so come check us out if you like to get a little saucy
1: very good you pointed out uh brett nicholson brett how are you doing tell us who you are tell I'm our, doing great you are.
5: yeah my i'm uh brett nicholson and i'm braxton's pastor and i i think i'm jonathan's pastor i can't tell uh so far and and i and, and at times i'm will hess's boss he's our student minister guy and so i regularly receive confessions from these guys kind of cool and uh so i have an insight oh, we gotta we gotta we does. gotta
3: talk we gotta talk after this brad i gotta yeah, I gotta get some absolutely get some. we
5: can i can be bought i can, no uh, you you deal can with get, get anything out of, that you that out of you uh, i 'm not above any of that kind of thing. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel called One Life Network, and where we talk about church issues and responding to culture the The mission statement is to uh, change the worldview of the next generation and so we do talk about worldview issues like m j was talking uh, uh, a while ago and uh, and we're pursuing an active partnership with Trinity. And that's been a lot of fun, That's right? and you know, It has. Right? It, 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 we're, we're making it happen. In, in so fact, well. real
0: quick, I'll just add, since I don't know that I need to be introduced on my own channel, although there's probably people coming from other channels. But Brett uh, and I put together last year uh, a, a series that Brett preached through and based on my book, Core Facts. And now I'm that right now in the second semester of teaching people through core facts and he preached sermons related to the points of core facts. And we, we launched that out, we think successfully. And so what we, yep, there it is MJ. Hey, you got the new edition. And our, we had our congregation mm-hmm. read it. That mm-hmm. was their yeah. reading plan. Yeah. And so the idea will be that, that Brett and I and Jonathan hopefully can in the future get other churches to adopt w- what we did and try to get apologetics into your church that way real practically. Because I think if you're a pastor out there, there are a lot of pastors who would agree with all the apologists. Yes, I need to get apologetics in my church, but they don't know how to do it. And so we're offering kind of a plug-and-play way to do it. But anyway, I'm so glad that Brett's here, and people who have been watching for a long time have probably seen him on the channel before.
1: Yeah, I'm glad Brett's here as well, though it's not the best look to introduce our pastor by saying you did all his sermon prep. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but hey, no. you know, I'm, I'm not dumb, I and mean, why not? Just say a little
5: little. I, do no, I huge hear of
1: all his work, absolutely. Yes, I've <laughs> learned a few things doing this for a while. Now, this might be odd to hear from uh, one of your church members, but this is the first time that that I'm going to say the reason why that we wanted bread here tonight, when we're not even talking about Bible verses yet in the Book of Romans, but we're introduction stuff, is to get a pastor's perspective on things because. You know, pastors, they deal with the Bible as much as scholars do, as much as theology geeks do. And so we wanted a pastor here tonight to help communicate why we think, why whether it's in sermon prep or why lay people even should be interested in all of that introduction material that you find in these commentaries or whatever to introduce a book of the Bible to help orient it. So a pastor's perspective is going to be real helpful. And because I consider, and you you may not hear this from any other church member, I consider the pastor to actually be a real job having watched this man i know that pastors work you more than first. twice a week <laughs> this is it that's yeah. amazing yeah. pastors do work more than 2 days a week yeah. and as true. long In as he keeps weeks, buying yeah. me lunch i will keep saying that <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much all that's right so before we get into the book of Romans, there are some things that happened this week and the past couple of weeks that we just can't ignore. So we want to talk about them, and especially when we have one of the um, originators of this uh, big kerfluffle on the Internet lately. If you follow the soteriology debates, we have Leighton Flowers here to tell us all about hashtag Baal-gate.
3: I was told this was going to be an intervention for Jonathan Pritchett. I I don't know what y'all are talking about, but. Nope, um, I brought the
1: gasoline for the fire, buddy. Yeah.
3: Yeah, um, Apparently, you know, we had a, you know, one of our long, you know, two or three hour kind of videos with uh, Warren McGrew was on uh, with um, Jordan Hatfield. uh, And we were just talking, you know, long video. So we had a lot of different little things that we were talking about along the way and um we were talking about election along the way and different things about election and how people the mindset of election with the concept of calvinism and uh and uh, warren said something kind of provocative and it didn't even, i didn't even register with me that it was even provocative at the time because it was in the context of a lot larger discussion but uh but we're giving uh, jordan a real uh hard time even though it's all turned out for the good because he clipped out a little section of it and and kind of put it out there on Twitter with this provocative question. And it got the kind of clicks that uh, that you're often looking for when you're looking for clicks. If that's what it's looking for, it got them. It was some and, of that uh, black magic, leighton. That's what yeah, I call it. It was, it was, <laughs> it was quite, and stuff quite provocative.
0: <laughs> It'll get you the but, clicks. Uh, so About what cost? But <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly but what what um, Warren was talking about was many people don't know Warren and know that he he grew up in a very high kind of calvinist home where the, almost like the the Westboro Baptist type of calvinist I mean almost that bad um uh, even even openly taught infant damnation and those kinds of things really really hardcore stuff and so something I'd said about being, uh, you know, choosing, you know, God may choose your, your child, may not choose your child, that kind of thing. And, and you got to be willing to still worship a God that does that. That's really hard. How would you deal with that kind of thing? And then we went on to talk about some other things and then he kind of reflected back on that. And he, he was talking about how the same mindset that's willing to, you know, worship a pagan deity and, and put your, your baby onto a fire in order to get your crops and those kinds of things. It's that same kind of mindset that would be willing to adopt this concept of infant damnation. He doesn't mention infant damnation, but he just says, you know, the same kind of mindset that a Calvinist must have to be able to worship a God that they think, you know, would, you know, damn your, damn a child, you know, to, to not save your infant. And so it's a very provocative topic as it is, but especially when it was clipped out the way that it was. And, and so the Calvinists went up in, in uh, you know, uh, very upset because it made, for them, they, and some of them interpreted it as saying parents, you know, Calvinistic parents don't care about their kids. They're willing to, you know, sacrifice them as long as they get elect, that kind of thing. And Warren was not saying that. Obviously we both were Calvinistic parents ourselves. And so we didn't obviously. You know, have, have no care for our children or something like that but he was just he was expressing the mindset of someone willing to worship uh, a deity that would sacrifice children or that would damn a child or something like that you're willing to still worship that god even with that ability and we were relating it to c.s lewis's quote about if if his good is our bad and our bad is his good you could worship an all, uh, all powerful demon kind of a thing because you can turn God into a form of devil worship. If you're willing just to accept what anybody says about God and you're willing to worship God, no matter what people say about him, you, your theology's probably gone too far. And so that was the kind of the point behind the quote, but the way it was taken was that, he, you know, people thought that he was saying that, you know, reform, you know, parents don't care about their kids or something like that as long as they get elect. And that's not the point that he was trying to make anyway. Yeah, that's where the well, the ball gate came out. Let, let me and let then me
0: speak, uh, go ahead, Leighton, continue.
3: Well, I was just going to say, and then and then he he clarified and said, well, we were talking about I was talking specifically about those who believe in infant damnation, and most Calvinists today don't believe in infant damnation. They believe that all babies that die are elect, and so I wasn't even talking about most of you. If the shoe doesn't fit, you know, why are y'all so worried? And he was going, no, and people are saying, no, nobody believes that anyway. No, you know, some of the people on the internet were saying, no, Calvinist really believes that. We we're like, well, James White does. James White believes that some infants are elect and some aren't, and, and he says that really clearly. Well, and so we did another broadcast explaining and showing clips from James White where he, back in 1987, thought that that was an inconceivable view, but now uh, he actually holds to that view that yeah. that God— can choose to elect b- infants and damn infants. And and that's his prerogative, his freedom to do that if he wishes. And we were speaking out against that concept for obvious reasons. It is an inconceivable view to believe that God would choose to, to damn any infant that dies or that's aborted. Um, and so that's, that's the basic nutshell of the controversy, if that helps.
0: Well, before you carry on, Jonathan, um, I know that most of you guys on the stream have probably already seen the post I made just a couple hours ago. <clears throat> but I'm going to read it here for posterity, a portion of it. Uh, but I haven't said anything about this issue. I have friends that have on both sides of this, obviously. And um, but But here's the way I said it earlier. There was some recent controversy between some of my friends in the online theological world. Parallels of some sort were drawn between issues surrounding a doctrine known as infant damnation and issues surrounding pagan child sacrifice. And here's my favorite line of the whole post. The world of online theological debate can be a strange place. I enjoy having many Calvinist and non-Calvinist friends. Some of my Calvinist friends, whether this is the correct interpretation or not, drew conclusions from these comments that they took to be personal offenses, either toward themselves or others. Whatever the original point may have been, I just wish to state, and I do, that I do not think of, for instance, my friend Chris Day, as having anything like the moral character, motivations, perspectives, or mindset of these ancient pagans. One, I'm not saying they, the guys in the original post, were trying to say all of that. Two, I'm not calling them out. And three, it's entirely possible I'm still not clear on some nuance of this. Now, much of this is revolved around the use of the word mindset, and we were just discussing that. If what one means by mindset is something like both ancient pagans and modern Calvinists have to come to grips with what seems like an incredibly difficult reality, then I can agree. But then I have to come to grips with incredibly difficult realities on my own view. It sh- and so um, and I then I mentioned that it should be noted that I haven't watched all you guys stuff on this. Um, so that's kind of my take on this, and and again, it's not a well-informed take in the sense that I haven't seen everything involved. Uh, but uh, there's me. Yeah, okay.
1: I, yeah. I just want to so that because there's I sense two problems here. The first problem is is people will throw fits, and I have a issue with. I hate this, that people will, you said if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. People will throw fits if you don't preface or qualify or issue a hundred disclaimers before you say anything. And then they will wear every shoe because they can't automatically assume, okay, well, that's not everybody just because you use a catch-all term like Calvinism. It gets annoying because if you say Calvinists believe, and it doesn't matter what you put in there, one Calvinist is going to throw a fit if he has some nuanced view that's outside of the mainstream. The other problem is when the Westminster Confession of Faith was brought up in some of these discussions, it says, elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who worketh when and where and how He plead this So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Now, giving this the most charitable reading possible, th- You could it doesn't say you could say that as you could go with a negative inference that if there are elect infants and elect persons incapable, that means there are therefore unelect. Right. And or you could just say it says elect infants and we don't know what that total number is. That could include the sum total of all without exception infants and people incapable that God could elect. So I do think charitably reading this, you could go either way. But some people have made statements in the past that are absolutely clear where they stand on this. And it is that they affirm that there will be non-elect infants. And you could. I guess you could just assume, given the the ratio of professed believers to 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 non-believers in the world in those proportions, one could assume that that the elect and non-elect and the infants or those incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word would be in similar numbers, which means that the majority of people would not be elect. And I think that's a fair assessment because part of the problem with statements of faith that you want to argue for wiggle room is with the lack of clarity, we do have permission to make assumptions or inferences from what it does say. And it is on the person who who affirms these kinds of confessions is to to speak out and say, no, I affirm that all infants are elect. Or you can say, I affirm some infants are elect, meaning that if some are, then some aren't. And so there is a place to discuss the doctrine of infant damnation within this context. So I think it's a fair game subject. And it seems like what People want to be outraged about is that Warren said off the cuff, buried in a three-hour live stream, without numerous disclaimers and qualifiers that, of course, not every Calvinist believes. <clears throat> blah 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 blah. Just well, saying there are. Catholics- I think,
0: I, Jonathan. I think on the one hand, we could say that uh, I'm. First of all, I'm Mr. Caveat. Jonathan hates <laughs> about me that I caveat everything to death. <laughs> Yeah. I, and, and I can't even hardly talk without caveating everything for just this purpose. And I do agree that it would be nice if you could just say a thing every now and then without feeling like you have to like give all the disclaimers and all of that stuff. So that is true. I will say this. I think that some of the, some of the um, backlash, I guess I could say, um, after uh, what well, is the cool thing that kids say? Like the clap back, a lot of the clap back or the backlash was really over. Uh, thoughts about not so much the doc, the discussion about the doctrine, but the implications about individuals. And of course, we've already covered that. But, um, but anyway, have we milked the algorithm on that enough to move on to Romans? Or Do you guys want to keep going for a little
1: bit? We haven't heard from Will or MJ on this whole thing. So, MJ, MJ go ahead.
2: Will, MJ, MJ, wake up. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm awake. Uh, like I said, I, I'm, I watched soteriology, you know, one-on-one. And I, of course, I saw Warren on there. So I knew that, uh, this is a joke. This, I knew somebody was going to be choosing violence when I saw Warren. So, uh, so I I do, I, I qualify a lot of my statements because I believe in nuance, you know, when you're talking about certain things. And I think the problem, um, the problem with pop level Calvinism is they don't necessarily engage with the confessions. And once again, I'm, I'm making a statement. And if it don't apply, I let it fly to the chat. Cause I, you know, I know some people can get uptight about this, but that's something that I've observed. Um, I've observed it in other areas when we're talking about um, the Bible being the final authority in terms of, uh, engaging in social issues. Well, you know, the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith has a whole section on that, that people are not familiar with. And these are just the types of things that you, that you encounter in these YouTube streets, uh, pop level theology, and then you, you know, the, the more academic uh, theology. And I, I think that, um you know, You know, from my outside perspective, I think Warren was just addressing uh, the confessional aspect uh, of uh, Calvinistic theology. And, you know, it it is what it is. Right
0: on, MJ. Will, uh, it's your time to shine.
4: Well, I mean, I already made my thoughts clear in both the Trinity Radio group and my own church split uh, discussion apologetics group uh, regarding at least the outrage that took place, which is the fact that when we're in this these online theological discussions, you have to have thick skin. And so I don't expect people to caveat everything because that just gets over, overly ridiculous. And it actually can get very pedantic to listen to if everything's caveated a thousand times. But also yeah. – just the nature of it is just, we have to have thick skin. Like, I, I hear people, I mean, I've been called heretic, I've been called all sorts of stuff, uh, every day in the comments, I wake up and I open up my YouTube app and guess what? I'll find some wonderful insults to get me moving for the day. But that's just part of it. And so, uh, Third-party offenses I don't ever think is a very mature way for us to live. I don't think it's a good way. I think we have to have a little bit more tough skin when we're engaged into this realm. Uh, the other a- aspect of it is, I mean, I didn't even think what Warren said should have been overly controversial because if you're still willing to worship a pagan god and burn your child to sacrifice it for blessings of sorts – Uh, Even if you remove infant damnation out of the equation, you just turn into even your adult children. I mean, I'll go one step further. If it's no matter what, before one was born, doomed from the womb, so to speak, there is still that difficult part you're going to have to wrestle with, which is the fact that your child might be unelect. Even though they might die when they're 84 years old, there's nothing they could do about it, and you're still going to worship God for his glory. So in my mind, I was like, I don't even know why this is overly controversial. Clearly, that's something that's difficult that's going to have to be wrestled with if predestination and doom from the womb theology is correct in general. So that that was kind of my brief take on it, and I am sure I will get some wonderful hate mail regarding my take, but that's fine.
0: actually I thought that was that right
4: there was pretty reserved. Yeah. So
0: well, yeah, yeah and, go, actually, do those yeah, Seth, if you don't like.
3: Well, yeah, I was just saying Seth Dillon made you know of the Babylon Bee, he made the same point that you just made, Wes, and and his response to it. It's just like he's, um, Will, Will sorry, Will, Will Hess. Hess. I always put Will Hess together as hes, Wes. Yeah. I don't know. Real, I do that. I've done that no, to you Layton, twice.
4: Layton, Layton, it's okay. I just want to make sure everyone is aware that this happens to me regularly because Will Hess, Wes, <laughs> it, it's all the time. So you're, I'm not even mad. It's, it's like my second name at this well,
0: point. We are going to, we are going to, because of how beautifully you usually put things, we yeah. are going <laughs> to put on the like sound effect board where you say rep and I'm not even kidding. And I've already got, Jonathan has already given me sound clips. There,
3: there, there are things that I've said for years that are mispronounced. And then and and then, and then somebody will finally mention it to me. And I go, Wait, why are you just now telling me? I didn't even that I was doing Who's this. Who's going to tell him? And Who, it's usually, it's usually it. Pritchett. Pritchett's usually the only <laughs> honest friend that will actually get on with me and say, hey, man, you're an idiot. You're saying the word wrong.
1: I don't call you an idiot. I mean, tonight you could barely say your job title because you fluffed on evangelism, but um, we love you for that. Anyway, so my closing thought on, on, on this uh, this issue is part of me thinks that some of the outrage that, that Will or Wes, as we're calling him tonight, yeah. uh, mentioned was to actually drown out the discussion, the real point about... Uh, number one, there is a similarity there that you've at at some level made peace with uncomfortable doctrines. But I also have to say that as Christians who affirm God exists and that there's evil in the world and that there is uh, an eternal punishment, however you shake that out in your doctrine of hell, there are some uncomfortable things that even whether you believe God passed over your children or not, or they, by their own free will, have refused to accept the gospel, we know what God does with such people. So there is uncomfortable doctrines to be talked about all yeah, around. That's, my point. that's one yeah. of my
0: points. Yeah.
1: Right. So anyway, with that, I think that we can move on to our next topic before we get to Romans. And that is going to be the topic of Donald Trump. Everyone's favorite topic uh can't uh, can we talk about can't we it. talk right, about elect you know, let's talk about in- you know, it, let's talk
3: way. about infant damnation some more a
1: dear friend of mine posted a, a tweet and posted a facebook post he's a dear friend he is a pro- fellow professor and uh mj and i wanted to talk about this because we went round and round and we're hoping to have tim come on trinity radio one day and and hash all this out because he posted a tweet that if you are a christian you have a moral obligation to vote for trump and if you fail to to live up to that moral obligation in voting for trump you have failed to love your neighbor well i don't know if tim like the progressive christians out there who talk about everything in the context of loving your neighbor, even though the neighbor is the Samaritan who's like hurting on the side of the road and you should help him. I don't know what that has to do with voting for giving somebody political power, but I also doesn't know what it has to do with affirming people in their sin either on the other side of the, on the left side of this coin when, when progressives try to evangelize guilt evangelicals with Bible phrases that they just kind of toss th- about willy nilly. But that is a serious claim that that if you don't vote for Trump, you are not sufficiently loving your neighbor, which is a violation of the second commandment, which means you are in sin. So I I, I had to take exception with my dear friend. Yeah, and say, <laughs> first of all, if you decide to go to your grandmother's house because she baked cookies on Election Day instead of vote for anyone to have power to, to tell you what how to live your life. You have not committed any act of sin. I mean, you could think of a million things that this, you. you this is election.
0: you're expressing an opinion right now. Is that what's happening?
1: <laughs> no, I'm expressing Listen. a biblical fact that God does not mind if you go sit with your grandmother on election day, uh, and, and and please don't fill out a phony ballot in her name for whoever you like. But you're going to actually sit with your grandmother and have cookies. Is is if you decide to do that instead of vote for Trump, you have not sinned and violated the second commandment.
5: Well, you should have had foresight uh, to you know know that that was on election day. I yeah, mean, yeah. On, was, yeah, you could have planned. planned better. If it's a moral <laughs> obligation, you better do some serious planning. But I don't think it if is. It's a moral obligation. I better start right now. Get that. On you my have account.
1: a moral obligation to go see your grandma more than you do, or than you have voting. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Maybe <laughs> <But> you, pal, <laughs> not me. Anyway, is that's my take on it. I, my issue is not who Christians vote for; it's who Christians support. And yes, voting is a minimal amount of support. But I mean, I think if you vote for somebody, uh, if, if you bother to vote for a candidate, you should be if you gave them your vote, which they should have to earn, whether it's Trump or whoever. You should criticize the person you stood in a line and, and had to, you know, wait for a long period of time in some places to give them a vote to put them in office. You should criticize that person more than if your guy loses, more than you criticize the other guy. I do not understand loyalty in politics. But anyway, that's my whole piece on it. I don't care who you vote for. just I care about who you support, and you don't need to be loyal to a politician. If you vote for somebody and he wins, criticize that person more than if the other guy wins. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Pastor, tell us what we're supposed to really believe about this. <laughs>
5: Well, from what I saw, I I get the moral, I I get how he arrived at moral obligation. I would be very uncomfortable with that kind of language uh, because for lots and lots of reasons. But I I, and I've I've had to ponder these things myself and and pray over that because the, the political thing is you do your your vote does result in outcomes and that that's unavoidable. And so what he was saying was the outcome in one direction, if, if the other guy gets in, it's going to lead towards leftist things and communism, which is atheism and, and on, you know, it kind of stacks this logic there. And then on the other hand, you know, uh, Trump's ostensibly is going to lead away from that, but to, to argue that that's going to become moral obligation to vote for Donald Trump, who is, who has proven himself to be, which your friend admitted that doesn't have the greatest character in the world and is, my moral obligation is to vote for someone that would be a wholly unreliable. I don't know how he's going to do things. He's backing off some certain certain abortion issues and things like that. Some people are starting to get upset with him because he's showing some compromises that I know a lot of people wouldn't show necessarily. I think he would be better than the other person in a lot of categories. But to get down to, you know, as as a Christian conviction, I have to. Uh, or I've sinned and, and I have to show up to confession to you or something because I didn't vote for Donald Trump or anybody else. I, I'm very uncomfortable with that. And I certainly wouldn't preach that except to you, Jonathan. Maybe I could be selective <laughs> about what I preach to each congregant. Yeah. You after after dumping Trump. on
1: Trump on social media yeah, for uh, like but, six years, you're going to tell me, well, you better do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, am weighing that
5: out though. It's, it's choosing directions and in our system of government too, uh, you know, that's not spoken of in, 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 scripture directly. We, we're representative government and all that kind of thing. And where's this going to go? It, it's, it, it's, there's a lot of speed of nuance. There's a lot of things to ponder there. But
0: yeah, now for, for myself, not that you asked me, Jonathan, um, I but didn't. I would just say <laughs> that I think, uh, I obviously concur with my pastor and I'm a good Southern Baptist and believe in pastoral authority. So I'm going to do whatever my pastor said. And so there's my answer. But even though I'm say, not a Southern Baptist. Yeah, yeah, he's not a Southern you know. Baptist. Well, it's just like <laughs> yeah. Jonathan's an egalitarian, but his wife's a complementarian. So I tell him he should, he should listen to his wife and, and be complimentary. complementarian. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but I will say that I, that I think, uh, while all that's true and I'm not the person that's, it's not my job necessarily to tell you who to vote for. I will say this. I think you look at the issues and unfortunately we have to look at things that way. And the truth is people have heard me say this on the show. It's not that there aren't other incredibly important issues, but unfortunately many Republicans are backing off of even talking about this or it's almost like they've given up on the whole abortion thing. But the fact of the matter is, um, I still think that abortion is the most wicked thing that we put our seal of approval on as a nation. And that is, is gonna play in not only to my mind, but I think a lot of other Christians minds, evangelicals minds when they go to vote. And that's also a good reason why if you, if, if you don't think someone should vote for Donald Trump and you hear that, uh, that a Christian friend did vote for Donald Trump and you want to lambast them for that, at least understand that their thinking might not have so much to do with, uh, Donald Trump's policies writ large or the way he acts in, uh, on Twitter or something. But instead it has to do with. They're trying to find a way to navigate to, uh, rescue millions of children from being slaughtered. Yeah,
1: I, I understand that that, that's an important issue, which is, you know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade with, uh, Donald Trump told me that Mike Pence had a lot to say in the judges that were picked and Trump supporters hate Mike Pence, but, um, our former governor here in Indiana. And by the way, our current governor here in Indiana is a Republican vetoed a bill. Uh, Another issue that's very important to Christians uh, is, you know, biblical sexual ethics and the the understanding of biblical gender. And our Republican governor here vetoed a bill to prevent young girls from uh, having to deal with boys playing in their sports teams and competing against them. So uh, our Republican governor vetoed that that bill. He didn't he didn't want to ban dudes from playing sports with women. So. um Anyway, uh, my only thought on that is Republicans aren't much better on on the abortion issue when, after overturning Roe v. Wade, Trump now wants to negotiate with Democrats on a 15-week abortion up to 15 weeks as federal law, which dumps over the states that, sure, the ones that wanted abortion all the way till birth, but also dumps on the states that wanted to ban ban it outright. So Trump is not really the the hero on this. Plus, when it comes to- Well, that's my point.
5: You know, you can't call it a moral obligation because you don't know what he's going to do. And if he does
1: something like that, where's the win?
5: There's you haven't ended with a moral outcome.
1: Yeah. So uh, a lot of a lot of people memory hole Donald Trump's uh, flubs and I don't. So, uh, MJ, I know that you have something to say about this because you said plenty on Twitter so
2: yeah, I, I wasted a bunch of brain cells and uh, many uh, hours of my precious day on, on Saturday, and Lord forgive me for uh, <laughs> in, engaging in it on the Lord's day. I I, I have since deleted my my Twitter. Uh, we'll oh, see how long up. that lasts.
5: But um, I've done that like three times. <laughs> I, I think
2: I think Psalms one forty six, uh, three through five talks about putting our our uh, trust in princes and kings. And and yeah, I'm gonna pick on Dr. Stratton for a little bit. You know, when I was talking to him, there there's almost like some type of existential panic um that was that was flowing in the in the, the Twitter feed. And after we look at the issues, uh the the Republican platform has already waffled on sexual ethics, they waffled on marriage, waffled on the transgender. Transgenderism thing, what we're really left with is economics. And any form of state intervention is considered to be Marxism. Any form of state intervention. Now, I'm gonna sound a little bit like David Palman, hmm. but but here but if, if Christians are going to comment on this, on these type of things, if Christians are going to try to bind the consciousness uh, uh uh the the conscience of other christians to uh political platforms and political uh 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 you know people who are running for office you, you need to know what you're talking about you need to make sure that you're aware of your blind spots and so once again i don't care who you vote for i pray i, I my prayer is that you uh consult god when you're voting but my prayer is also Uh, that you would understand that the kingdom of God does not function like the world. In other words, when we love our neighbor, you need to, number one, you need to make sure you're defining that scripturally. You need to make sure you're defining that scripturally. Love your neighbor is not some top down policy driven, um, policy driven matter. It's, it's a bottom up approach. It's a bottom up approach. we we change the world through being salt and light. We change the world through our actions and modeling what it means to be the people of God and modeling what it means to engage in um, uh, in righteousness and justice. I think in Romans 6, it talks about how we have died with Jesus and we've been raised to new life. Uh, there's your regeneration for everyone, by the way. Um, but it also talks about how we no longer yield our members to uh, Injustice or unrighteousness, but we we now yield our members to righteousness or justice, though. though th- that's how you love your neighbor. But I mean, yes, we find ourselves in America and we've been granted this great privilege to have a say so and how our government is ran. And we should use that privilege, of course, uh, prayerfully. But we don't lose you know, we don't we don't panic or, or lose our mind. Uh, you know, because the because of the specter of of, of certain uh, politicians loom. So so that's that's just my attitude toward the whole thing. Uh, I'm looking forward to having a conversation uh, with Doctor Stratton. Uh, love him. Had a good time in Texas with him and Josh Klein. Uh, by the way, uh, Doctor Pritch uh, uh, Nick would like in on this conversation too. Uh, if we can make that happen as well.
1: Well, that that's gonna that's up to, to, <laughs> to how how many people uh, Braxton wants to referee because I know that Tim's got a buddy he wants to bring on a, a fellow minister that we met in Texas as well. So uh, Layton, Will, y'all, uh, Wes, I'm sorry. <laughs> are you guys
0: saying? Wait a minute. Are you guys saying the Nick wants on right now? MJ, no, 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 no. no. On, oh, okay. when we,
1: on Trinity Radio when we schedule Tim and everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Um, I mean, when it comes to yeah. By the way, I did edit my name to say Wes just because I couldn't help myself. But anyway, uh, I don't know this. Whenever the uh, Pastor Brett has been saying in the last few weeks uh, that continually bringing up that it's election year and all the crap that uh, tends to bring up out of people and out of the culture and things, uh, this is for me what happens when you take the political issues of this world and the kingdoms of this world, and you elevate them to way too high. Uh MJ put it perfectly when it's just it's the wrong approach. Like I don't look to the state to love my neighbor. Like I don't vote for a particular person in the state to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to love my neighbor and change the culture from within in that sense. Uh And plus we are a constitutional Republic. It's actually a, one of our rights, whether or not you want to vote or not to vote. Uh, there's no moral obligation one way or the other. And that's the whole point is that, You don't have to, and I don't think a Christian should sit against their own conscience if they don't feel like they can, in good conscience, vote for somebody. That's what individual soul liberty is if you're a good Baptist, okay? And I'm just say Baptist because we all know that's what you're supposed to say. I guess if you're from the South, we forget, <laughs> we forget that there's a T, you know, Baptist, but it's fine. But that's one of the things. It's like we are that we are individuals and, and we have individual soul liberty through Christ. And if no one should violate their conscience. And I know that there's certain people who really do struggle with even the idea of voting for Trump or even voting re, uh, for a larger revo. Part of the Republican caucus, so to speak, because they have waffled on things like sexuality, on things like abortion, and so many other issues. So I, I just I don't agree with Doctor Stratton. and Doctor Stratton is a good friend of mine. I love Doctor Stratton, um, and you know I'm a pretty conservative person myself, and I can't ever see myself voting blue. And I'll I can say that out pretty.
1: Oh yeah, I I, I can't stand I, I can't stand the Democrat party. I'm so not- so <laughs> like I just I have no
4: problem <laughs> saying that. But it's just one of those things where I don't think I can sit there in good conscience say that, especially when the context of loving your neighbor is not within something like voting for a particular, uh, political party. In fact, we were told not to re- put our faith in kings and.
1: Yeah. And my thing is this, uh, I, I know in election year, every, every, I'm old now. I'm, I'm actually a grandfather, so I can say I'm officially old. You can't say I'm not old. And as a grandfather, I've lived for a long time now, and every four years, it's the most important election of our lifetime. And like I said a minute ago, I don't like the Democrat Party. And if you don't like what's going on in this country because you don't like the Democrat Party either, hey, I get it, but guess what? If the most pressing issue for the church is a Democrat will get elected and we live and die by four years, we are bigger babies than women in Rome in the first century. So settle down. (laughs)
0: <laughs> am i supposed to say something you, it just got like quiet it went quiet all right it was real authoritative there for a I think moment you're supposed to say romans yeah. to romans, to talk?
1: romans. let's go on to romans yeah <laughs> let's go on to romans <laughs> we actually have a i actually put together a powerpoint i don't know if braxton's going to show the powerpoint because he hadn't showed oh, yeah. anything else that i prepared for him to put up on the board
4: oh, <laughs> so we're not going to talk about razor wire dang
1: oh man oh, the razor wire that's right yeah next week bro next week oh man <laughs> we're already 43 minutes into this romans we're going to introduce the book of romans and uh as as people who followed our channel know i am not a pauline guy i i like peter because he wrote fewer letters so it's less to deal with you've got you know uh mark first Peter. Uh, the first third of Acts, and then you don't have to worry about much except for Paul calling him out in Galatians. But Pauline theology is kind of a big deal to a lot of people, and I thought, you know, why not do a Romans roundtable and talk about uh, the book of Romans? And what I I love about the book of Romans is it's a letter that Paul wrote, and we're going to go through the various options that people have said what his primary purpose in writing the letter was. But among, if he had more than one, we know that one of them was to unite a church, that had uh, Jews and Gentiles in somewhat uh, conflict there. And it's, it's kind of funny that a, 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 an epistle that was meant to unite a church has caused endless division and fights in the Christian church, uh, whether it's in academia or uh, in in the pews or just in among denominations, this letter seems to be uh, a source of a lot of contention and a lot of, heated debates because of a lot of the topics and things that themes that come in it. So, I, you know, I I wonder how Paul would think uh, about this letter and its subsequent history beyond the original audience, given that, but it is an interesting letter. It's probably the most commented upon uh, book of the Bible, at least of the new Testament. I mean, we have Leighton Flowers who wrote a whole book, not on, you know, the book of Romans, but on a chapter in Romans. So uh, our friend uh, Brian Abasciano has written three volumes on Romans 9 that are bigger than the two-volume commentaries put out there by uh, a lot of these authors writing on it. So it just seems to me that this book is uh, kind of a big deal. What do y'all think? <laughs> I was told the
4: other day that Romans is where small groups go to die. So,
0: <laughs> well, Jonathan, is the Book of Romans a
1: systematic theology book? Good, day. let's talk about that. We're teeing you up. Yeah, well, I I don't think so, but we'll get into that when we get into uh, the purpose of writing. But we'll we'll talk about the author. We'll, we'll start there okay. with the author of the Book of Romans because all done. Move on. No, not that simple. I'm for him. Yeah. Yes, Paul, and get and one of the best things about Paul being the author is that it's not disputed, right? Yeah. I mean, right. Like almost nobody disputes that 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 Paul wrote it, but we also know that Tertius was um, the emanuensis for it. He even says hello in in the 16th chapter, in the greetings, and so there's uh, a. A discussion to be had about, did Paul dictate it? Um, was it kind of collaborative with him and, and the Emanuensis? Did he kind of shorthand, write it down, and then go flesh it out later? Or did Paul just say, I want the gist, uh, here's the gist, and then, then Tertius write the bulk of it? Uh, there's some discussion about that. I think the consensus of scholarship is that, Uh, Paul probably dictated large portions of it, but because of the size of the letters, Paul's largest letter, um, he probably rehearsed very bits, uh, various bits of it at different points, uh, in his preaching, uh, probably with Phoebe and Tertius and others in his, uh, circle there. Uh, I believe that he was writing from Corinth. So. I want to say I think Paul probably wrote the good bit of it, but I, I did. I, I think because of the importance of what he was trying to accomplish with this letter, I think it was primarily dictated. But then you have to ask yourself the question when it says, I, Tertius, uh, say hello, who wrote this out with my hand. Uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense to say that Paul dictated Tertius' own greeting to Tertius. So, I mean, you have to at least some of it. You know, and that gets into interesting questions about inspiration because, we, you know, people think, you know, God inspired the text and inspired the authors carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so was for like a brief flash there, Tertius himself (laughs) inspired for one sentence. And how does that work? So, you know, uh, but I, I think I personally think that Paul probably dictated a large portion of it, but also got input, especially considering whatever contacts he had in Rome telling him about the situation probably helped fill him out. I don't know what you, what you guys think. So, so I had you on the show. I mean,
4: I think one thing is for certain is that we can't say that Paul did this willy nilly, right? This isn't just like a one-off thing because when you look at, other, like Seneca, for example, apparently averaged like 995 words in his letters, uh, who's a philosopher. Uh, Romans has 7,114. So there's a lot going on there. <laughs> Plus, actually, I thought this was interesting. Uh, scholar actually, uh, broke down that Romans would have on average cost about 20.68 denarii. Which actually calculates to roughly two thousand two hundred seventy-five dollars in our due to the price of papyri. Yeah,
1: which that's is, Keener, which which was published before the Biden inflation, so. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, so Keener Keener pointed that out. and I just thought that was kind of crazy because clearly this was an expensive letter. So there was actually probably quite a bit of project going into this. It was something that was very premeditated and thought about.
1: Yeah, we've got the papyri. You've got it. Whether uh, Tertius donated his time, or you have to pay for his services. Uh, then there's the you've got to transport it, um, to Rome and probably pay for the performance there, uh, and the costs associated with that. But yeah, it's 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 interesting, and and you know, it raises the question was it worth the money? No, I'm just kidding. Of course, it was worth the money. Yeah. Um, braxton you haven't moved the slide at all by the way there you go let them see what we're talking about here jonathan you're the one who's got to tell me to change the slide it's
0: your powerpoint i know that we're close to having some sort of a cognitive link but we're not there yet
1: yeah, here we are uh, on trinity radio and for the first time we're not in the same room because my That's roommate right. looks smarter uh, so i wanted to broadcast from here but yeah um so we know that Paul was the author. Nobody disputes that. Um, Tertius probably bounced some ideas off of but It's probably mostly dictation, in my opinion. Now, we, we can reconstruct Paul from biblical data. These are, the, these are the historical bits of data that everyone knows. You know, he, he was previously Saul. We know that he's a Roman citizen. We know that he was a Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin, trained in Jerusalem uh, under Gamaliel, he persecuted the church, and he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that they placed somewhere in the early 30s, and he was commissioned. And that raises an interesting question. Was Did he convert to an entirely new religion uh, as a Jew doing the fulfillment of Judaism, as we could say, with Jesus? Was it a calling? Was it both? That's an interesting thing that we might want to talk about. But we know that he was commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and we also know that he was not the founder of the Christian communities. So, those are the bare facts that we know about Paul from 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 the text. But that doesn't uh, it doesn't the conversation. No, no, go back. The, the conversation doesn't see, see doesn't, what happens. <laughs> see, because yeah. because you know, as your representative, um, I think you were right. In the probably previously to the seventies, you could just introduce Paul and give this information. Uh, in your commentary and say, yeah, Paul, and we know this about Paul, and here's some uh, little facts about Paul. But you can't get away with that anymore because I, I would say, at least since Saunders' publication of Paul and Palestinian Judaism, now we have this huge fight over when you say Paul wrote the letter, what Paul are we talking about? Are we talking about the Catholic mystic Paul? Are we talking about the Lutheran Paul? Are we talking about the new perspective on Paul? Paul? Are we talking about this thoroughly Jewish Paul who uh, didn't really change very much from his prior thinking? Do we talk about you know these new uh, the the apocalyptic Paul uh, that Nick was supposed to come and represent? But I will uh, I will we'll all have to try to carry the water on that one. Uh, So, what Paul are we talking about? Which Paul do y'all think we're talking about? Well,
2: go ahead, Ed. You go. Okay. Well, these conversations about what Paul we're talking about—they are very interesting to me. Um, uh, and you know, I was reading through Gorman's uh, commentary on uh, on the you know Rome. He also, I think, a, a nice companion to go along. With his romans commentary is his book on paul and he talks about the different perspectives but i i don't i don't think that we have to um i think some perspectives are, are not tenable um like i don't really rock with the 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 traditional lutheran uh, or calvinistic paul like that um but i do think the apocalyptic paul and the new perspective And even a participationist perspective has something going for it. Um, So the question is, you know, when we're looking at, when we're looking at Paul, we're asking ourselves, did he preach the same thing uh, that Jesus preached? And also did they both preach the same thing that the old Testament prophets preached? And so I think that that's, that's where the, the different perspectives come in. And so rather than trying to center paul in any one of the perspectives i think the book of romans is an eclectic letter in terms that it does give us a systematic presentation um it well excuse me it can give us a systematic presentation because i i don't think that uh that you know special revelation is the same thing as systematic theology i think that we do theology right human beings do theology so I think that we can glean uh, so, uh, some systematic theology from it. But it was written on an occasion where we do see Paul also trying to bring uh, Jews and Gentiles together. But he does address some of the finer points of um, of what God had done through Christ in his interruption into human history, uh, engaging the cosmic powers of death and sin and things like that. And, and of course, I just used two uh two two words there the cosmic that's powers I do. that that's something um I'm that we happy. see in the apocalyptic perspective of course, i'm gonna direct everybody to nick's uh channel, but I think that that it the the different perspectives also have um implications for you know the debates centering on predestination election. Um, things like that, and so you know what Paul are we talking about? I yeah, think it's,
1: yeah Go it's, ahead. it's interesting the what what I find in common between like the Catholic mystic Paul and the mm-hmm. apocalyptic Paul is they both want to locate Romans five through eight as like the locust of Pauline theology and but they go in different directions because what the catholic mystics find is the the union with christ being in the experiential uh in christness through the holy spirit and and that experiential aspect to be you know that for, for those who are wondering what christian spir- spirituality and mis- christian mysticism is it, you know and, and especially in the past and the desert fathers and all that if you're wondering what that really is Christian mysticism is basically just highlighting union with Christ and how they flesh that idea out, and of course that's central to the to, to Catholic theology because they're it they they lean heavily in that mystic tradition. They find a lot of connections in Romans five six and seven eight there. Now, what the uh, apocalyptic Paul uh, find in that same section is what MJ was talking about, where. Uh, their critique of like a Lutheran Paul, which I'll kind of briefly flesh out in a minute, their their critique of that is the Lutheran Paul is too truncated. It's too <laughs> narrow in its scope. It's too it, it, it it's too much human centric. Whereas they're, what they're seeing, what they're seeing the the Christ event, the apocalypse of Jesus coming, you know, breaking into uh, the world that that is. Upending the old order in, in a completely new thing, and this is not just about how does a human being, as an individual, find right standing with God, which is kind of the Lutheran thing. They think that Paul is just talking about, well, you you have this guilt ridden conscience like Luther did, and you know he read his existential crisis into Paul's letters, is how I put it. But basically, how can the individual sinner find grace from a holy God and all of that? Whereas the apocalyptic. Perspective says, no, this is this is a cosmic battle of good and evil. And it it has all these powers. And and Paul highlights this with the cosmic twin powers of sin and death and and the the defeat of that and and new creation in breaking with with the apocalypse of Jesus. And and so they find in that same section, whereas Catholics kind of take this internal mysticism of union with Christ. They see this as outwardly cosmic, earth shattering, cosmos shattering. There's there's, you know, they, they just don't think that the other perspectives are to use, you know, just a uh, turn of phrase. They don't think that your are there. The other versions of Paul are epic enough. They're not thinking grand enough uh, in the scheme of what Paul has in his worldview as he's hashing these things out within the context of a letter like Romans. Um, and then the new perspective um they the new perspective on paul kind of wants to push back on the on the lutheran paul because the lutheran paul saw first century judaism as kind of the proto catholicism you know type of religion where you you do enough works to save yourself and when sanders published paul and palestinian judaism he was going saying no uh judaism was also a religion based in grace and it was It was um, by grace you enter the covenant, you know, but it is by works that you demonstrate that you are a continued member of it. Uh, Kind of this phrase, covenantal gnomism is how how they talk about it. And so they say you need to reinterpret Paul's discourse in Romans around uh, what Paul would have understood Second Temple Judaism to be. The pushback on that is Second Temple Judaism was so variegated that uh, there was that element of works righteousness, but um, how you understand that phrase, works versus faith, which we'll get into in the subsequent weeks because that's going to be a big topic, is going to be determinative of how you hash those things out. And there's a lot of interpretive options that I don't think that the general audiences, especially in Protestant churches, are aware of. And I'm a good Baptist. And as Baptists, what I like to do is, even though I don't go to a quote-unquote Baptist church, we're kind of Baptist. Um, I haven't seen any infants baptized yet, but we'll, maybe they splash water on, but we're uh, about uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I think there's elements from all of them and Baptists we take from the theological buffet, what we like and leave what we don't. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Now, Jonathan,
0: that was all very beautiful, but I have to ask now at this point, it only dawned on me. Was this your way of tricking us all into one of your lectures here at Trinity? Is that what what we've just signed up for?
1: No, I'm just I'm just trying to fill the air that y'all are leaving. <laughs> Is that right? With the- are, Are you, you sure? <laughs> I, I, <yeah.
5: laughs> Wait a second. I was just
4: being polite. No, we all should have known that's what was going to happen when Pritchett asked us to be part of something in New Testament theology.
1: I want you to bear witness to my commentary on Romans. And add
2: as little as Tertius did yeah. <laughs> let, let me let me let me say this too you uh, got it. Dr., dr Pritchard. uh you're being challenged on campbell uh and it's being said that Campbell loves him some some romans five eight but he he locates Paul's apocalyptic theology in romans one you 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 know who is challenging you.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, as if Campbell's the only APP guy and we're talk about Deboer and all those other people too. Come on. I, I See that's the thing. Not my apocalyptic Paul, okay Calvinist, not my Calvinism. But but
2: but I mean, there are also other perspectives as well. You got you got the anti-imperialistic perspective uh the paul within judaism perspective the feminist uh feminist perspective and 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 let me ask you a question pritchett i Thank don't you. know if if you ran away um and when you were saying uh the uh catholic mystic perspective is is that like a is that would that be the particip- participationist perspective
1: i mean it would well, be some element of that but the participationist seems to be more corporate whereas yeah you know the Catholic Church loves to talk about the one church we're the one true church and we're you know they love to speak in corporate language but Christian mysticism is 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 highly individualistic in so far as it pertains to your personal experience and your union with Christ. sure, that takes place within a larger body of the one Holy apostolic Church blah 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 but still it, it you know, they they do put an emphasis more on the the personal experience and and the experience of communities, but it's really your union with Christ. And it's funny that you talk about the feminist Paul. Yeah, I mean, there's the liberal Paul. There's the homophobic bigot Paul. There's Mm -hmm. the liberationist Paul. I mean, there's all kinds of Pauls out there.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think what needs to be pointed out is is, – the perspective of Paul that you take, and I'm not saying, I don't think this is a presuppositional issue. I think that we can empirically find out through inductive Bible study uh, and, and also looking at the uh, socio-historical context, um, what, what Paul was getting at. But I think that when you look at what Paul is talking about and, and I take a, a modified apocalyptic approach where Salvation is about more than just people going to heaven. It's about more than I. I think when you make salvation uh, or, or election about uh, these these uh, preordained individuals going to heaven, it's it's a man centered gospel, right then and there. And I and number one, um, I think the gospel is 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 bigger than that. Um, when we look at when we look at Genesis one, and we look at the fall. We look at the impact of the fall. When we look at the solution, if the solution is just people going to heaven, wh- why is the solution to the fall less uh, impactful? I, I think I think I, I think there's something to think about.
4: Uh, Absolutely. Well, one of the things in Romans that Paul seems to make clear is that he speaks of sin like a slave tyrant, right? hmm so with that there's a lot more of this idea of like a cosmic tyrant and power that needs to be destroyed so that god can redeem not just his people but his entire cosmos in a sense um i've been i i'm a fan of the new perspective although the new perspective now is so freaking varied that it almost means nothing anymore and it's all really so not very new i mean it's like the 70s and 80s so it's not really a <laughs> new perspective. I have a lot of friends of mine. I have a lot of Torah observant friends, which is funny. So they take a thoroughly Jewish view of Paul, which has been an interesting thing to talk to them about. But I'm somewhere between the new perspective and probably apocalyptic, at least uh, in my view. Yeah. What about you, uh, Leighton?
3: He stole my thunder because I was going to say about the same thing. Uh, I like I like some of the new perspective on Paul. Um, I, I, I tend to agree with most of what I read from N.T. Wright. Um, but I think, I think that, and that's the thing. It's just like with the atonement theories and some of these other, all the different debate theories, it's like, it's either this one or it's this one, or it's this one, or it's this one. And, and people get siloed into one particular group or camp when the truth of the matter is there's, there's truth in probably all of them to some degree. Now the bigot Paul or something like that, I, you know, throw some of those out, but, there's some probably truth in all of the different perspectives and it's kind of the, the, almost the buffet style of give and take. Yeah. This, this is, this is a good point here and this is a good point here. And this is where we see, you know, when he's talking about these particular subjects, you know, there's some value there. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's just one particular, you know, view of Paul that captures all aspects of who Paul is just like all of us, you know, when we, when we get labeled based upon a particular you know view we have or a particular thing we're discussing in one particular area uh, it's easy to pigeonhole us in in a particular way of thinking but i think there's some value in and especially the uh, the the new perspective on paul's you know i i again i i kind of side there a lot and uh in a lot of what he says a lot of the conclusions he comes to seems to be much more in line with uh what with what i 'm reading from paul and how i 'm understanding what paul 's intentions are because he 's really going back to a, a new testament first century Jewish mindset in the way that the, the average you know reader of that day would have understood paul 's teachings
5: well to your point though it, i and, and I have the benefit of ignorance of some of this but but the, on the other hand i you, you were talking about each person is is a dynamic of a lot of different of those things if any anybody in right. this table were to write uh your uh, your magnum opus and, and express your theology. Well, you're coming from a lot of different vantage points. You have your own salvation experience. You have, you probably at least a few of you have some mysticism and you were trying to get that into the Baptist around here. I mean, I I have some mysticism in me and, 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 and experiences. I, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with the fact that the, uh, the evangelist and church planter strategic thinker, Paul is not included in some of these uh, because that's, that's who he was. It was his identity. He said, I, uh, I wanted to come to you guys because I wanted to impart a spiritual gift. And and he talks out that he was a missionary is what he was. He was the premier missionary going around traveling and church planter and contextualizer. And so mm-hmm. he would have been thinking in those terms. He's talking about going on to Spain and all the rest. And so uh, to leave that out, I think, is to leave out a, a a large chunk of what he's really getting at and why he's talking the way he is. Because I know there's one school thought is say, he was thinking at as Rome is maybe establishing it as a new missions base, uh, his next Antioch. I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean he, uh, it, it's certainly worth doing that. But I'm uncomfortable with pigeonholing. Oh, it's the mystic Paul. Uh, okay, well. well,
1: one of the, one of the things that I like uh, about being a Baptist, and one of the things that you'll find in some of the later some of the later commentaries, is because each of these camps are bringing out certain elements that others can be okay with you can, it's kind of one of those situations where you're clapping with one hand because you're like, I can clap at the things that, that I can aim in. It's just other stuff that you're trying to also <laughs> say goes along with that, that I can't, I can't go along with. So what you find is you find a lot of yes, but, and then they, they go off. Yes, I like that, but not this. And so you find a lot of that, qualifying everything's like I can go I, I I appreciate you bringing out this stuff I can clap at that but I can't clap at this other stuff because you, you're taking it too far in another direction and so you find a lot of that happening in the in the commentaries because one of the one of the biggest breakthroughs I think of the new perspective on Paul is even like some of the die-hard reformed commentators the like the Reformed Baptists who can't be moved on anything, you can read Thomas Schreiner's commentary and he's like, I mean, yeah, they've 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 given us some helpful insights and and we have to take in we have to account for those. But not not too much, you know, but but we, well, you know, Jonathan, I think uh the
0: the first step of the new perspective on Paul or the Old Testament type stuff, the stuff you're talking about with grace and the old testament, all that sort of thing. Um that that all can make sense to me that paradigm works uh when we get into the second half or the second part of it and we're looking at the book of romans and things like that and uh how how does all of this exactly cash out with the different doctrines that we discuss in romans um imputation and all that sort of thing that when it gets into these analogies you've heard me argue with this with you about this over and over again yeah like imputation at some point yeah i said imputation at some point we get to this point where it's like it just seems like we're arguing about which analogy is the best analogy to fit the theological issue that we're trying to describe. And even William Lane Craig, when we were in Israel, told me, oh no, Braxton, it's so much more than that. But um, <clears throat> I find myself still... Uh, when your eyes aren't glazing over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but then the second thing I want to say is whatever you want to say about this, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about, no, Romans is not a systematic theology. That wasn't the point. He didn't sit down and try to write... A systematic theology or did he all uh, well, right that's the question but but i know you would want to say no he didn't but the fact is yeah, but. <laughs> but yeah here's the yeah but the yeah but is what i mentioned to you yesterday jonathan which is whether that was his intent or not he certainly did do what appears to be a, a fair amount of systematic theology in the midst of what he what he was doing and yeah. so you get that
1: yeah, it comes. To, that's a part of the discussions around Paul that I guess is two helpful spectrums uh, for people to think about in the audience uh, that are brought up. And and Brett brought this out, you know, missional minded evangelism. Um, how how much of Paul's theology versus sociology is going on in Paul's letters? There's a spectrum there, you know, uh, and how much of the theology is in service to his sociological projects or vice versa. And that goes a long way into trying to figure out how do we read what Paul says? Um, and then the other thing, the other spectrum between theology and sociology is Paul and Judaism. Where Where is he on the spectrum uh, of, you know, how do you understand the relationship between law and gospel, law and grace and all of that stuff? And where's Paul on that? So, so people are going to find themselves in these various uh, conversations on one closer to one end of the spectrum or the other. And so those are things to keep in mind and how, how can you carry through that consistently from text to text? And one of the things that we remember at hermeneutics is, you know, the authorial intent matters. What did we all, everybody agrees with what the text says. We all agree what the Bible says. I don't care if you're new perspective, old perspective, Catholic perspective, uh, whatever, I mean, we're going to talk about some textual issues as we go along and talk about the unity, integrity of Romans itself here in a minute. But we all agree on our received text. We all agree what it says, but we all differ on what it means. And in hermeneutics, we talk about uh, a text. What the author intended to communicate is where the authority of its meaning lies. Right. The authorial intent. But I want to go a step further than that, because the when you have something like a letter essay or a speech sandwiched into an epistle or whatever you want to call romans um the intent for what he wrote it for to accomplish matters as much as the intent and what he meant and what he wrote to accomplish it so finding out the purposes behind paul's letter goes a long way in understanding his intent and the words that he used to accomplish that purpose so it's not just authorial intent in the words themselves, but it's overall his aims. His, his what was the telos of Paul with any given epistle? Sometimes he tells us. Sometimes in longer works, it's harder to tease those things out. So we have to we have to keep that in mind. And one of the things about producing <laughs> a book with long introductions and commentaries is sometimes in a commentary, because people have their own agendas, they forget everything that they wherever they landed on the, in the introduction and they don't carry it all the way through the book. But commentators now are having to be mindful of this and say, if you're going to plant your flag in the introduction somewhere, you need to be able to flesh that out from text to text to text and not get excited about chapters three, chapters eight, chapters nine, uh, and then kind of waffle on and not give as much attention because your text might be a hobby horse passage in, in one chapter or another. And, negate or neglect uh, with undue attention going over every word because we can yeah. all pay lip service to every word is in the bible is important but i mean jonathan. how are you sitting around reading first chronicles chapter two a bunch of names and pouring over that not much hey, uh, hey jonathan yeah
0: we've got like several slides and we're on the first one i know Do you want to move forward
1: yeah the rest are pretty quick
0: okay <laughs> That's why I tell people when I preach, I'm like the rest of my points are a lot quicker than the first one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there's several possibilities. Um, uh, some people go with early 50s, as early as 54. I don't think that's plausible. Uh, a lot of commentators, are kind of in that 55 to 58 date range, and they tend towards the latter because they want to put Paul writing this letter. Just if if you kind of position it next to axe just real quickly um they put him either that that three-month winter break in 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 corinth most likely but some people say Syncree, but probably corinth uh and that would they would have put that kind of uh 57 58 and i think that that's probably the best guess but
0: bw3 says 56 to 57 yeah Ben Witherington the third. There's a episode that's a lost episode of Trinity Radio that you can now get if you're a patron. By the way, we'd love for you to be a patron at, at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio, where you can get ebooks, audiobooks, uh, previous episodes and a lecture hall with about seven, eight hour courses on various apologetics issues wow. with yours truly, as well as a course on the resurrection and one on Calvinism from Jonathan Pritchett. So, uh, and one of the episodes that's missing is an episode where we respond to BW three. Go ahead, Jonathan.
1: Yeah, so uh, there's there's some dispute uh, earlier than that. Uh, I I don't really go go for an earlier date. I'm kind of um, leaning towards the fifty seven fifty eight dates, but I don't know where you guys. I don't know if y'all even care. I have no opinion
2: (laughs) about this. Uh, Just take an average. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say between 55 and 58. Yeah. It
3: would, it would, I don't know how Campbell gets to the early 50s, though, because that would have been during the time that the, that they were, the Jews were kicked out, right? I mean, that was between 49 and 54 that the Jews all had to get, pushed out. Well, and, the
1: edict was in 49. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. The second edict, Claudius's edict was, th- th- they could try right. to place that around 49. And part of the reason is for there to be, we're kind of jumping ahead on that, but yeah, I I would think there would be more well, time. Can, we
3: can wait. Yeah, I just, I, the only yeah. one that didn't make sense to me is the early 50s. It seemed to be, have to be after they came back back to to Rome, which would have been in 50, what, 54?
1: Yeah. Uh, Jamie, I I guarantee you that we will not do this episode on Romans 9 when we get there in 150 years at the rate we're going. Uh, But we will definitely have Layton for for Romans 9, at least one of the probably 20 episodes we'll have to do on it. But yeah,
0: absolutely. Wow. All right, Braxton,
1: you may go to the next slide.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I need to be told I like rules, I like laws. I would be a great legalist. because i like for people to tell me what i need to do so that i can be pleasing to ever, you know to everybody else it's it's uh i'd make a great legalist cuz just need to know that if i do x y and z i'm a good husband i'm a good i'm a good child of god and unfortunately sometimes it gets more subjective than that
1: yeah what well, you just yeah the the audience of course uh there's some debate about this i think it was like in the 1800s there was uh popular to think that there was a mostly jewish audience for some reason but that that's like almost nobody thinks that today um but there are questions like ben witherton the third bw3 as as braxton affectionately calls him uh one of our favorite guys i mean he's like overwhelmingly it's a gentile audience but paul's happy for the i don't know the the 10 to 15 percent uh, Jewish audience to to listen in on this conversation. I I, I don't go with that personally. I, I definitely don't go with the mostly Jewish, but I do go with a more heavily Gentile. But there's still got to be a sizable Jewish minority. So I'm kind of with Fitzmyer, who's a, a Catholic commentator, and uh, James GD Gun Dunn on 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 that. Um, yeah, but see the 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 layman seminary says mostly Gentiles, the Jews are returning, but that's the thing in order for there to have been a conflict, uh, to in Rome where Paul doesn't say the church at Rome <laughs> in order for the, a, a conflict that needs a letter as enormous as Romans I, as heavily. And now I know that it's, it's easy to think that Jews, uh, Probably started the church initially before they were kicked out. Um, I don't, I don't know about that, but I, I think for the conflict to require such a sizable letter, I, I think it's got to be a little bit more. Which is why I go with Layton on the later date that more had had time to filter back to Rome from the edict, because it just seems like there's so much Jewish issues that Paul's trying to walk that tightrope between honoring the old testament and then tell them to go back to, to just say that it's overwhelmingly uh jit-topic. because topics if, because if the if the jewish congregations wherever they were in the city were so small to be insignificant i don't know um i don't know that that would require as much i mean look at galatians they, that's that's kind of a, a letter where you've got the judaizers making a whole bunch of noise and that's a serious situation. And whenever the uh, party from James showed up in Antioch, they were sizable there for Peter to get called out by Paul there. And so you have all these places where it made a difference between the Jews and Gentiles to cause kerfuffles. It didn't take as much to explain as, as the letter of Romans. Now the flip side of that is if they were very small, Paul's going out of his way and overboard to write this letter. Um, because he didn't want to beat up on the Jews, the the, the tiny Jewish minority. But I, I don't think that that works. So,
4: well, I uh, I think you put it perfectly, because I think the mostly Gentiles, sizable Jewish minority is probably the view that is the most sensible, because there's also so much Old Testament callback throughout the entire book and letter of Romans that you can't really get past it in my mind, because there had to be a group of people there, that understood a lot of these references, because if you're a new convert, maybe, I mean, it's possible they could have been God-fearers, I guess, who attended a synagogue, but that were Gentiles. But really, a lot of that understanding that was going to have to be imported in was going to probably be from a Jewish audience, at least in yeah. my mind.
1: Well, Brian Abashiano in his uh, dissertation, and I guess this portion may have made it into the book form for his Romans 9, 1 through 9 book. I mean he makes the argument I think he makes a compelling case that Gentile believers would have started getting training in the Old Testament because that was their Bible at the time as well so it's fair enough that they 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 would get a lot of the the highlights that paul Paul would have had but that would have also came from Jewish instruction as well, our Jewish convert instruction as well so exactly. if they disappeared um we don't know how much how much of that that they could have had. I mean, if you if you put the the uh, the origin of the church in Rome sometime in the 30s, you know, maybe the transients from a uh, Pentecost or wherever. You know, I mean, it's a very transient city anyway. Uh, but it certainly would have probably been Jews who started that church, and so they would have taught the Godfearers and and the Gentile converts in the Old Testament. So I, I mean, they would have familiarity with that, but I don't think they would have had familiarity. With the issues, if they were so overwhelming in numbers compared to the Jewish community, that Paul's statements about that and his with his diatribe and interlocutors that, that it would that it would warrant that kind of response. So, amen. I go with the I go with, yeah, it's a majority Gentile, but I mean, I would put it more 25 30 percent. I mean, we can't know for sure. This is all speculation, but. I mean just given given how much of attention he's paying to this it just it just seems to me if you have if you have jews in antioch and you have jews in galatia and you have jews uh, in the diaspora and and gentiles there and it's paul's going on about this and those kinds of numbers and of course paul's going out of his way first to the jews and the greek the apostle to the gentiles always going to synagogues first i mean we find that in acts that's 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 just the way he operated. So I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't go with that. But just to get some background on Rome, um, there seems to be, according to Judas Maccabee, um, Jews had been going to and from Jerusalem and back to Rome since uh, as early as 160 B.C. um, and 139 B.C., uh, his polis expelled the Jews. That's <laughs> expulsion number one because they were contaminating Roman customs. By the first <laughs> century, uh, the estimates were between 20,000 and 50,000 Jews in Rome. Uh, Pompey, back in 63 BC, had brought a lot of slaves from his warring. Um, from the, In the East, he brought back uh, Jews, but they were freed by 59 BC. Uh, Tiberius in 19... Uh, 80, he he ordered the Jews to leave Rome. Uh, though I think some were ins- conscripted in the military, but uh, this wasn't thought to be too ex- successful of an expulsion because the Rhodian family kept their close ties uh, with the imperial household, so they don't think that a large number uh, of Jews would have left in 19. Then, of course, you had another expulsion. Claudius following after that, um, he initially expanded the rights. Uh, Of the Jews, but he told them they they couldn't they couldn't congregate, you know, just because they didn't want too much of that that pollution. Because apparently the Jews became Judaism became a cosmopolitan uh, religion for some of the wealthier people, especially for women, and it was attractive to slaves as well. Um, But then again, in forty nine, Claudius kicks them out, which we had talked about, and Suetonius talks about that being over. Christus, which most people take as his mispronunciation of Christus, even though this mm-hmm. is a common name, uh, the best guess was in the synagogues, you've got um, probably Christian converts from Judaism and Jews in the synagogues causing this big kerfuffle over, over Jesus.
2: Over, and, over the identity of the Messiah, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, and so he orders them to go and, but a lot of people take that as like, not necessarily every Jew was ex- expelled from that uh, expulsion, but a lot of them were. But probably the the Roman citizens never did leave, but a, a good number of them did. We know that Priscilla and Aquila uh, left, for example, and they met up with Paul in Ephesus. So you have that, Jonathan. I yeah. wanted
0: to throw in there real quick that because you mentioned this Crestus thing that as an apologetic point, if anyone wants a good resource on Jesus uh, outside of the New Testament, there is a great book called Jesus Outside the New Testament by Robert Van Voorst and goes through all of this stuff and the cases for and against this being presumed to be that we're talking <laughs> about uh Christ here and all those kind of things. I just wanted to recommend that. That's Jesus outside the New Testament by Robert Van Voorst. And now Jonathan has disappeared. Does anyone want to take a chance to say <laughs> anything? Does anyone want to talk about anything real quick? <laughs>
5: uh, uh, yeah, we're, 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 <clears throat> our
0: leader's gone. I yeah. think that
1: they're reading comments at this point.
0: Uh, right, right. Okay. That's what's going on. Yeah. All right, Jonathan. W- did you get the last bullet point here?
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, we don't know the exact origins of the church, but we do. But people could say it was Jews and Gentiles traveling to and from Rome, and establishing Christian communities there. I do think that the hypothesis that that some of them may have been from uh, Pentecost is probably valid. And I also think that that the Jewish congregations and the Gentile congregations probably established themselves in a rather large city. Uh, I think that they they put the estimate at between two hundred. 50,000 to 400,000 people uh, at the time, maybe even more. Some estimates are higher, as high as a million I've seen, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. If that's, but those congregations probably developed and formed independently of one another. And that might also be even before uh, 49, when they were, uh, the Jews were expelled, That probably coming up separately. Um, it would be like a Methodist church and a Baptist church forming in a town somewhere but they never interact with each other except for the Baptist duck in the liquor store you know so they don't get seen but I mean it's it's kind of like they just kind of came up together and they had their own um, kind of way of being Christian with respect to Torah um, depending on how they were um, initiated and, and converted into Christianity.
2: I got a question for you
1: hold on just a second MJ okay. um, Reaverton
0: Reverton, uh, Reaverton? I don't know I need to be careful because sometimes people try to trick me into saying bad words with how they write their name. But I think this one's okay. And thank you for that super chat. It says, took some moxie to roll straight into a very dense presentation after getting our blood boiling with all that controversy. Go off, JP. <laughs> That's well, how we do it. <laughs> and this is particularly interesting because I think it may be that reeferton uh, got into it with one of our mods a second ago. If not, and I'm seeing that wrong, I'm sorry. We're using a new presentation uh, thing tonight from what we usually use. And I'm new to it, but thank you so much for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but given that background helps us understand the situation on the ground by the time of the first century. Let us know what whatever proportions you give to Jews and Gentiles. It's going to matter as you go through the text, where Paul, how you read Paul, and how he stands with respect to the law and gospel. So So
2: let me. So let me ask you this, uh, because we were talking about. I know we can't get into percentages, but with all of that evidence that you just laid out, um, would it be okay to um, to come to the conclusion that upon the death of of Claudius and the return of the Jews to Rome, that the that the 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 church that they returned to was kind of sort of dominated by Gentiles. Uh, could that be the case? Oh, that, that's definitely. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. I, I put
1: the Gentiles as a as a majority just saying that it, I, I don't think it was so minuscule, like 10 to 15%, I'd say 25, 30%. But as they rolled back in, you know, you've got... Let's say that they started rolling back in under Nero, you know, 54, 55. Um, it could just be that Nero thought, I mean... You know, Nero pulled the Biden, like started overturning all of Trump's <laughs> orders just because he, he just didn't.
3: compared Nero to Biden.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, Back Biden signs a bunch of executive orders to countermand the executive orders that Trump had signed. And he just kind of got rid of all of them. And, you know, that's kind of what happened with New I mean, I think there's a you can there's a way to read this to where the reason why Nero ditched uh, a lot of these edicts from Claudius just because he thought it was a moron. Well Jonathan, real quick, I think what it could be
0: like um, a good idea to like get this take. So we are right now in a country that is uh, uh, basically you know very close to two countries and uh, and yet pastors have to get in the pulpit every week and try to preach to two crowds that have two very different outlooks and backgrounds. Now the uh, Jewish and Gentile Christians, they obviously are pressing toward, uh you know unity in christ but it might be good to hear from pastor brett like when you think <laughs> through like preaching to a yes. jewish and gentile audience i would think that you have to be like a genius pastor to try and navigate that well
1: i mean they we would be thought- in different they would be in different house churches though
0: oh okay all right so we're going one to the other we don't mix the jews with the gentiles that's what you're saying
1: well, I mean, I can't say for sure. I would think that you would have some Gentiles in some of the Jewish house churches and some Jewish converts to Christianity in some of the Gentile churches, but I mean we're looking at probably thirteen or so uh the at the time of Paul at least. Um so they would be have I don't know what their makeups would be individually. So
5: mm, thirteen th- or so what, churches?
1: Yeah, like congregations, yeah. Right.
5: Yeah. Well, what would you do if this coming Sunday you had a <laughs> well I, I think it, when you put all the data together in my in in my view and is that I believe what he's doing when you when you incorporate his his statements in the first chapter where he says, "I've been longing to go there uh, and uh, he views himself he is an apostle that's his identity, he's a church planter, he's a missionary, he's a contextualizer, he's a strategic thinker, he wanted to go to Rome. Uh, and, and because it was the place and it was the place from which everything would just, you know, the the gospel itself would spread from there. And he knew that this, you think about it for the last 20 years, that is the issue. The biggest issue of all is the Jew Gentile thing. Uh, that's what he's always arguing about. Now, when, when he writes Galatians, he's writing as a pastor and he's putting out fires. I mean, and that's, that's how he talks. I mean, he's, he's, well, what the heck is going on? What are you thinking? You know, that, that kind of stuff. Here, he's not planted that church. He's not the direct pastor of it. And I think what he's doing is taking all of his experience that he's had with that debate, with that argument. And no one knows it better than him. The, the cross section of his heart, he's the Jew of Jews, but the apostle of the Gentiles. So no one's thought about this stuff more than him. And so he's presenting to them, this is, in effect, the solution to this ongoing debate and struggle. Because if you're a Jew in those days, it would have been really, really super difficult, even if you did accept Christ and walked with him, to to process all of that. What does that mean for my Judaism? In the same way for a Gentile. And you know, you had some Jews that said, forget that. I'm going to go straight that way. And so I think he's, throughout the whole book, he's walking this Gentile Jew, Gentile Jew thing, And trying to put it all together, so he uh, is—he's being a unifier, and he's—I think that's why he's taking the time. I think you're getting his 20 years of reflections and debates and pushback and the FAQs he's done and all that kind of stuff in one big thing. I think that's what you would have. You would kind of—I'm aware of this situation and how everybody's struggling, and I I think that's—he's kind of sending that ahead so he doesn't want to. Whenever he arrives, he—he doesn't have to go into all that he's yeah. just kind of saying this is who i am and this is uh i think that's the solution to the struggles that was the ongoing debate for all these people all the time i would think that's why yeah. it gets in the stuff at the end and all the rest yeah but that's just me but i and how i would do that i i think you you have to have a lot of sensitivity to it when you go into it's a contextualized thing when you go to we did work in new york city And well, I got to preach in New York City. Well, it's a little different in Midtown Manhattan, preaching there is Evansville, Indiana. There there are and I talked to the guy there and talked about the issues and the problems and the background and and the uh the the education levels, everything. It's it's what are they dealing with? And I had to kind of craft who I am. And Paul was a contextualizer, that's throughout the book of Acts, uh, over and over and over again with the different audiences and things. And I think it's I think of Romans is a contextualized letter to their situation.
3: I think I think you're exactly right and it, it you know Paul is also you know he's known to be the apostle to the gentiles and so he's become the gentile apologist so to speak in the sense that he's the Jew yeah. that's that's making an argument for the inclusion of gentiles and so no matter who he's writing to and the the percentage of numbers that are there I think he's always going to lean towards uh the inclusion of the gentiles and defense of the gentiles you see that obviously throughout Romans where, you know, he's using an interlocutor who's in his mind, usually a Jew, you know, (laughs) combating his his
1: theology. Yeah. Until chapter 11, he's always arguing with, uh, I take the position that he's always arguing with. And, and that's going to matter when we, when we get into, he's always uh, arguing with what? uh, Up until chapter 11, his interlocutor is always Jewish. But I mean, there's a, as we go through uh, the book of Romans, we'll have to, you know, have those discussions about who the, the identity of the interlocutor at any given point. And I think because people don't identify that interlocutor from the perspective of the interlocutor, they, they go wrong on a lot of texts, you know, and they don't see Paul's pattern in dealing with the, speaking of, of Romans nine, uh, I know this is a chapter very near and dear to Leighton Flowers heart. Um, that's the Calvinist chapter, in case anybody yeah. doesn't know. Yeah. It's all about Calvinism. That's the book, the, that, that's the no, chapter of the Arminian. No, not the Calvinist skip, chapter. Right? That's, yeah, but when you get to the interlocutor, Paul has never once conceded a single inch of ground with his interlocutor. And the way I read uh, Romans uh, 9, 19, and 20, that Paul still doesn't. <laughs> uh, when he when he shuts down the who are you, O man, to answer back to God, uh, he he's not... He's not responding to the Pelagian Armenian weenie who's mad that in eternity past God picked winners and losers because that's not really what Paul's talking about. So, uh, yeah, Leighton Flowers,
3: Paul... Flowers is not the interlocutor for Paul in right.
1: Romans 9. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because. The only time Paul actually agrees with his interlocutor is when it's the Gentile. And he says, you know, you, you can say that branches were broken off so that I could be right. And he says, he, he says, true enough. But then he tells him to not get arrogant. So he kind of agrees, but then qualifies his, his agreement. by don't get arrogant because you could get broken off, too. And you by know? the
0: way, I just want to stick in here real quick that we have a discussion of Romans 9 with Leighton Flowers on this channel from just a couple of weeks ago in response to christy burke who is an atheist uh youtuber and tiktoker so yeah. if you just can't wait to get to the to the romans 9 content <laughs> you can go there or you can go to probably put your finger randomly do the magic eight ball with Layton flower's youtube channel and you can probably get something on romans 9
4: yeah or if you just want to see christy burke get debunked uh the church split has a one and two parter that we just uploaded oh man
5: Hey, we did one of those on One Life Network too. Everybody, like Christy Burke. That's right. We're I, wonder to on, Burke, her, her I wonder if Christy Burke, her thing on morals, yeah.
4: If Christy Burke didn't bloviate a bunch of nonsense, uh <laughs> there wouldn't be so many videos <laughs> so of her, but here we go. <laughs> Will
0: I mean Wes, I wonder, um I wonder if Christy Burke because surely she'll have watched. Uh, an hour and forty minutes and twelve seconds of this podcast <laughs> to hear this, so that she can. Yeah, Hi, Christy. Yeah, so she can respond. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Jonathan, we blew you off, but here we are on purpose. Yeah,
1: purpose. Here, here's where it gets fun because okay. the, these are these are. I mean, people have given more, but I tried to group these up into like the main things, and of course, it goes with it goes without saying. You can with a letter this large, you can have a bunch of different goals you want to accomplish with one thing, right? That's not, I mean, we do that with our presentations when we go speak in front of anybody. So, but what is the main thing, and how would you have all these options out? Um, because for the, for a good chunk of church history, people thought that this was Paul just laying down uh, a presentation or kind of a, a synthesis of his, universal Christian doctrines. The problem with that is he doesn't really go into the resurrection like he does in first Corinthians. He doesn't talk about the Lord's supper, you know, and various key places in the letter of Romans. He's also appealing to traditions that predated him, um, that, you know, he doesn't really highlight elsewhere in his theology. Um, like the phrase justified by the blood is in Romans three is thought to be a prior tradition The Paul. is just kind of appealing to that. Uh, be recognizable to his Gentile audience because he he doesn't know them. Um, so it seems like if it was an attempt to systematize uh, all of his doctrines, key Pauline doctrines are not even here or at least expounded upon at, to any depth whatsoever. It'd so be like your- Tim
0: Stratton writing what his whole uh, worldview is and then he doesn't say anything about free will. Yeah. <laughs> Or the free will argument, we could say. Yeah. yeah. Um, well,
1: that's some why I say have, it's a
0: contextualized document. I mean, it is, it is. I think it's from
5: Unify the Jew and Gentile Churches down is where yeah. I am.
1: I, I don't know this. Uh, people say obtain support for Jerusalem, which, I mean, he was going to go there before he went to Rome. So I, he, he wasn't trying to, uh, I, I don't know. It seems like they would have already had close ties. So I don't buy that. But they think that this was on his way to Jer- when he was going to go to Jerusalem before heading out to Rome his thing was he, some would argue that this was Romans was a dress rehearsal for how he was going to present his gospel there uh, when he delivered his uh, offering to them. But th- the problem with that though, is, I mean, they've already had the Jerusalem council by this point. So, I mean, wh- wh- what does he still need to work out? Because we, we also know uh, from Acts though, when he does get to Jerusalem, It kind of goes bad, right? I mean, riot breaks out in the temple and all of that. You you can read in Acts. So, I mean, maybe he was trying to defend himself because he defends himself a lot in the book of Romans, not quite to the degree as he does. uh, You know, he defends his ministry in Second Corinthians and in the first chapter of Philippians. He talks about all that he's been through and suffered for Christ and stuff. I mean, but I I don't know that that's really um, plausible. Um, The next one would be to establish authority of a majority Gentile church or church group of churches that he wasn't the founder of. He probably thought he had a sense as the apostle to the Gentiles that he wanted to kind of establish himself as authoritative over them. But I I don't see him being as pushy and ornery as he normally is in other epistles. So... Well, even there, you like, you have, is it first
0: Corinthians where he's like, I told Apollos to come to you, but he said he didn't want to or something. And it's like, you would expect Paul, (laughs) you got none less than the apostle Paul to drop some authority there and be like, no, dadgummit, you're going to go, but we don't see that. So, right. I mean,
1: I mean, he, he, Paul's very strategic in when he's trying to shove his weight around, right? So, but then we have the the unity of the Jew and Gentile congregations in Rome as his primary purpose in writing this. And so all of his theological uh, discussions of redemptive history and Jews and Gentiles and, and you know God justifying the man regardless of being Jew and Gentile, all that is in service to bringing these two uh, the weak and the strong. if you want to g- get to chapter 14 or the Jew Gentile, get these uh, to come together and unify. Some just think it's an accommodation just to introduce himself, um, just to ingratiate himself to them. Um, part of it is to defend against Jewish objections, but I think that's part of Jewish objections more so to Paul personally because he kind of goes that route, you know, to defend his thing. And then um, there's the, I, I don't know why, yeah, to obtain support for the mission to Spain. And Robert Jewett, I mean, he goes all in on this. He thinks that that it, you know, hence the the, the thumb uh, statement that Paul was trying to get support for Spain, and the whole reason for this letter is that was number one, number two, number three on his list, and to unify the two congregations is it had to happen for him to be able to get his support from them to go to Spain. Jonathan, did yeah. did did we get an
0: hour and? 46 minutes into this stream before we justified the thumbnail is that what just happened the thumbnail is was paul just in it for the money and here we are at an hour 46 and we get the answer
1: well i mean he went around it i mean people like to That's say that he, you know, right there. Yeah. <laughs> he was a tent maker but he did that in corinth for specific reasons paul had patrons. jesus had patrons i mean they, they have patrons Phoebe well for the standards
3: of my videos uh you know an hour 46 is only about you know the first 10% of
0: my <laughs> videos. So, that's right. yeah, that's, that's yeah. about right.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm inspired. I'm taking then, a whole new tactic. And yeah. then, as, as Brian Abasciano says in his dissertation, and as uh, in Thomas Schreiner's commentary that you could probably see on the table behind me. Oh, yeah, um, I've been noticing that. He said that, that Paul wrote Romans to glorify God. <laughs> I mean, well, that's the same reason. <laughs> and you're not allowed to say no to that.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Well,
1: yeah. of course yeah, yeah. i mean spurt hearts for the same reason but i mean you know uh <laughs> I, I think that that's nice to say that but how long it really doesn't give that? us anything about romans itself because paul wrote every epistle to glorify god <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, yeah I mean, but i mean was... true to form he's a reformed baptist he has to be pious and yeah, you know
0: yeah, there you go well he was and he was uh, yeah um
1: uh, but but in all of that, like I said, I think other than uh, Jewett's commentary who's like, no, it's, everything has to do with the Spain mission, um, I, I think that's a part of it. Um, but Jonathan, but- what, what I've been wondering
0: is, um, why is Romans 1625 through27 mobile? Because it shows up, in, it shows up in six different places in the manuscript tradition. Well, tell us about it, or or kick it out for someone else to tell us about it.
1: Well, the, I, I I didn't know that y'all had finished telling me why. I, I know what Brett thinks. Brett's all of the above from unifying the church on down. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. Was my, oh, MJ, MJ, he was, MJ. He was
5: unifying the church around his mission. You can't yeah. just pick one. I mean, yeah,
4: I'm with Brett on this one. For heaven's sakes.
2: MJ, were you going to speak? Yeah, I I think the easiest thing to say is to take an eclectic approach Um, that, uh, you know, that Paul is um, presenting a a theological treatise and the reason why he's presenting a theological treatise, it comes out as he's dealing with uh, the Jewish-Gentile conflict. And so he has to present, uh, present... uh, a presentation of what God has revealed from heaven um, and and ha- how we are uh, one in Christ and how we've been united in Christ and raised to new life, Have we've been crucified with Christ, raised to new life. You go to Romans 7, uh, just so that nobody's confused, he says, I'm now talking to those who know the law. He's talking to the Jews, and he's vindicating the law, and it's epistemological functions going into Romans 8. You know, talking about, uh, um, those whom he foreknew. I, I think he's talking about o, uh, Old Testament saints. I don't think that he's talking about, I don't think that he's getting into me- metaphysics as some would, uh, would believe, uh, you know, because, I mean, h- how would the audience know who, uh, those who he foreknew, uh, unless we're talking about Old Testament saints? And then in, in Romans 8, he says, if, if if you suffer with me you'll reign with me so that's that's kind of conditional as well and then you know getting into romans nine uh getting into some uh some more old testament stuff as well and and of course uh he's taking care of pastoral concerns in the latter chapters so i do think um, that that the the purpose the main purpose is to uh, to solidify that bond within the church but of course you can address each of these you can garner support for Spain you can he he has to introduce himself if he's going to address this yeah but uh, I I think the primary purpose is to build unity and of course unity is built up on the solid foundation of God's revelation so he does theological and all the above well no. let's consider Spain for a second though
1: um we, we we go the extra mile even if we're an hour and 50 minutes in this Spain at the time um had a few centers but it was it was still you know in the west still somewhat resistance to a lot of Roman influence I mean there was some centers there but it, you know sparsely populated uh, at the time uh, the best I understand it it was mostly Latin speaking or native dialects, which meant that to establish unity in Rome, he would need a lot of resources as a base of operations because to go to Spain, he would need connections there because also there was a language barrier that had to be overcome because it had to be translated. And he would need someone. uh, We don't know Paul's understanding of Latin, probably, um, you know, not much. So he would probably need that translation to Latin and then from Latin to the native tongues out there in Spain at the time. So that's going to require a lot of effort and a lot of support that his entourage probably doesn't have. Cause he hasn't been out there yet. Cause he's the whole reason he wants to go is cause God, he wants to go where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed. He says he's not interested in building on another's foundation, but go where the name of Jesus isn't heard yet. And so, I mean, he says that in the letter. And so we, The logistics of that, the financial support that he'd need, the uh, overcoming the translation barrier, the the patronage he'd need for him and his entourage out there, contacts. Uh, Paul's modus operandi is to go to uh, the synagogues first and then to uh, the Gentiles and try to establish connections in the synagogues. But there was almost no Jewish presence in Spain at the time in the first century, so he didn't have those typical advantages that he was uh, used to uh, on his mission so getting unity from this church for the purpose of the spanish mission was vital so that's why it you know we might have been in it for the money a little bit because i don't i don't think that the spanish mission could have been possible if he did not establish the connections with a unified church so we can't just kind of put, yeah, he wants to be a missionary because, yay, Paul, he's the apostle to the Gentiles and he had such a heart. Yeah, but there's there's logistical things, practical things that need to be in place for him. And, of course, you got to think about the Church of Rome. He's trying to introduce himself. They've probably heard, yeah, this is the guy, wherever he goes, they start riots. He's already answering slanderous claims from chapter three on against him. Right, so what do the Romans think of Paul? He's a guy that starts riots everywhere he goes. He, he probably a lot of misconceptions about how he feels about Judaism when he went to, uh, when he made it to Jerusalem. I mean, James told him, "Hey, you need to go do some. You're the to the Jews, I've become like the Jew, and to the Greeks, I've become like the Greek. Well, you need to be more Jewish now. You need to go do this stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, chaos ensues. So." These people in Rome have a reason to be somewhat suspicious of Paul and his reputation, given the rumors about him and his gospel, given what the perception is of how he sits towards Judaism. Um, <laughs> there's a lot there going uh, on. Imagine,
3: <laughs> imagine what we would have if Paul had written more letters to churches that he had not been to, because I think one of the reasons he was so thorough uh, is because he hadn't been to Rome, and he was teaching them a lot of things he didn't get a chance to teach. You know, possibly the churches that he helped to plant, he was out able to be there and teach them. Um, so I think the reason we we were blessed with the letter to the Romans was because he wasn't there and gave them so much more. And so it makes you wonder, you know, had he had he written to some other you know churches um, that he hadn't been to, how much more we would have gotten from Paul as far as his theology.
1: We have Colossians. I mean, True he was that. the founder of that church. Well,
3: that, yeah, that, yeah, which not which, near as not near as thorough there. Yeah. but
1: well, but, but see, that's the interesting thing because uh, Colossians is um, another letter like Romans that has a you know it's not nearly as long as Romans, but it has the same say hi to every name you can think of. Which I mean, Romans sixteen is 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 a chapter that that you know greet as many people as, he can name off the top of his head. But there are some textual issues here that I, I that really Nick wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's several different manuscripts, uh, and the earliest one I think is P forty six. That but all of them about six different ways that you can hash out Romans that have this doxology moved in various places. Um, one of it, uh, one of them would have it. Right after uh, chapter fourteen, verse twenty three, and then it as uh, the uh, chapter sixteen, verse twenty four, then twenty five through twenty seven, and then you have one after chapter fifteen, right? So you have a version of Romans with that ends at fourteen. Uh, uh, you have um, one that ends at fifteen. You have one that has the whole book. Um, so it, it's kind of tricky there. Uh, Then there's the added thing that that some of the early manuscripts don't even say in Rome, which has led some people to think that one of the truncated versions that also has in Rome means that this was not even originally written uh, to Rome, but it was adapted for the situation at Rome. And that goes back to making the case that it was, in fact, a theological treatise and not handling a specific situation that he later kind of formulated for Rome. The names in chapter 16, um, a lot of connections with Ephesus, and they say, well, we la- in Acts, we last left Priscilla and Aquila in, in uh, Ephesus, so did they, how do we know they went back to Rome? Well, that's an argument from silence, but did they go back to Rome, right? Um, so was this originally intended for Rome, uh, Rome or not? Uh, then you have in 1620 and 1624, sometimes you, they omit verse 20, but it's, It's that grace of the Lord be with you is, a you know, kind of seems like somewhat of an ending. Um, And then they just kind of move it around. So there's textual issues there that actually do call into question some of. It goes back to what I said at the beginning in hermeneutics. The authorial intent. Helps us understand not just the words, but the whole purpose behind the words is what he was intending to accomplish with all the words that he used. So. That calls into question. I, um, I don't know. Braxton left us, but if we can go to the next slide whenever he gets back. But anyway, I don't know if people were aware of these issues, but that's some of these things are why people come to different conclusions, or at least in in the history of uh, all the commentaries. So, for if you want to. Go with the shortest Roman the shortest version of Romans, of course it was argued that this was the original letter of Paul that circula it was an encyclical letter uh that Paul sent around to all the churches that he wasn't the founder of uh and then later he would add things like in Rome or he would add um chapters fifteen and sixteen uh for for various reasons now the the arguments for this is that origin mentions. Uh, in his commentary, uh, Marcion dropped the doxology and everything after chapter 14. And of course, Irenaeus, uh, Cyprian, and Tertullian never quote chapters 15 and 16, but they may not have had the occasion to. So against this idea is that because Romans 14:23 is an odd place to end the letter and then maybe tack on a doxology as some of the manuscripts of, of 16, uh, 25 through 27. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's that makes much sense because the argument continues all the way to chapters 15, verse 6. So you're kind of cutting off the tail end of that, that argument. Um, the personal details in uh, Romans chapter 1, 8 through 13, is not very general. So they're thinking this was probably um, Marcion's doing for this truncated ending at 14. Or... A papyri could have just been damaged. (laughs) It just got tore off. So those are the arguments against that being the original version of Romans. Then you have another argument for a, not the shortest version, but the shorter version that Romans 1 through 15 is original. But chapter 16 was added, but it was added uh, for Ephesus to commend Phoebe there instead of Romans. And the doxology in the manuscript is after chapter 15, verses 33. Uh, and then chapter 16 is tacked on. So that, that, except for verses 25 through 27, doxology is right after uh, verse 33 in chapter 15. Now, arguments for this is that in chapter 16, Paul lists too many people. Um, they, how would he know that many people in Rome uh, when there's so many connections to uh, Ephesus there? He spent a whole lot of time in Ephesus, right, Um, several years. So that could have just been attached as a repurposed version in this. You know, with Priscilla and Aquila being greeted, um, like I said a minute ago, that was the last place we left them in Acts. Um, Epineus was the first convert in Asia. Why would he be greeting him in Rome? And they think that uh, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 16 reflects concerns from Ephesus, which, I mean, Paul's dealing with Jew-Gentile tearing down walls, one new man in Christ, too. So I don't know how far that flies. But the arguments against that is that chapter 16 is kind of a strange letter of accommodation for Phoebe and then hi to everybody you can think of to just kind of tack on to this shorter version of the book. And there's no prescript there. So epistolary prescript is like the first portion of the letter. The postscript is if there is a postscript, sometimes Paul ends with um, just a doxology, but some of his letters and other letters, epistles in what's called epistolary postscript, which is the f- final statement and greetings out, you know, um, not there. Um, when Paul knows a lot of people, he doesn't greet as many, but when he doesn't know people, he he's kind of trying to ingratiate himself. Right, The reason why he's greeting so many people in Rome is that he's trying to establish himself among people who are established there who can vouch for him considering a lot of this letter is him defending against false charges about his gospel of God or gospel of Jesus Christ. So if he can point to all these people and say, I'm okay because they think I'm okay, then then he wants to be able to do that. Another thing is if you think about it, we'll say he doesn't know that many people, right? He, he doesn't know everybody that you could think of. Well, one of the things that you would want to do is make as many contacts as you would, whether he knows them or he doesn't know them well, to make sure that he's trying to show honor to as many people as he can think of. So either way, it's it makes sense within the context of a church that he wasn't founder of.
0: So, chapter sixteen is authentic.
1: I go with the fact that Romans from verse one all the way to the end of chapter sixteen. Uh, and I know, big I, surprise, I, I can hear Nick screaming through the chat if he's still paying attention. I know he doesn't, and he wanted to fuss about this. Nah, he left a long time ago. He's like, <laughs> God. You know, I mean, we're not we're not King James onlyists, but we still believe that the the Bible that was handed down to us uh, is more or less the Bible that God inspired from start to finish, and that as they exist are probably uh, as they were written. But your mileage may vary on that, but I'm going with...
4: My mileage doesn't vary. So Nick Nick Quimbley please like the shorter version?
1: I I, One of them. I don't know which out of the six. (laughs) Right, 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 right. I just... Uh, he was supposed to join us tonight, but he's not here to make the case of why the Bible's wrong. Or the well, Bible's that's fine. yeah. See, <laughs> there you
5: go. You don't say,
1: I mean, well. oh, "Big mm. See how I put I, I put that in the worst possible light.
0: Yeah, me. and you're right because he's also an egalitarian like you. So let's
1: uh, move on to the outline <laughs> issues. All right, we might get this under three hours. <laughs> All right, so there's we're not going to do a full outline like you would find in the commentary. We're just going to do it section by section, but the <laughs> issues regarding the outline can go back to some of the c- conversations we we're having earlier, that if this is a situational <laughs> level and I think a uh, letter, and I think all of us agree that this is situational dealing with a specific situation in Rome for whatever purpose or purposes, uh, do we all agree on that?
0: What, what are you th- saying? Is this, it situational?
1: Is an occasional letter. If yes. It, if- they're
0: all occasional letters. Yes.
1: Well, yeah, unless people argue that they're not, which some people do argue. Yeah, but they are. (laughs) They're wrong. I mean, you haven't read commentaries without telling me, man. I mean, people think that Ephesus was not to Ephesus because there's manuscripts missing in Ephesus, just like in Rome is missing and stuff. But see, I think a lot of that could be explained simply. They wrote these all originally as occasional letters, but since they shared, copied, and shared these letters with other congregations... Sometimes they may omit things like in Ephesus or in Rome because we're just trying to get the gist of it. But why are there so many of these general theological treaties? Why does it seem like Brax is like he may have stumbled into it, but it seems like there's general theological sections here. And how do those sections relate to the situation if it is situational? Why are there so many, so much of that?
0: Are you asking a question for the panel to discuss?
1: Yeah, so that this isn't, you know, all me. But not that there's a problem with it being all me, but like, before, <laughs> like you reminded me today, you, you you told me today, we have a Trinity Radio Extra you don't ever tend to. If yeah, you want to just right. bloviate for two hours, just go to that channel. Well, maybe. you laid
0: out some of the things there, like, uh, okay, he's trying to familiarize uh, his audience with himself and he's dealing with these issues. And so you're going to need to lay out your uh, basically your mode of thinking on some of these things in order to draw some unity toward those, as MJ said, and with the issues at play, it just seems to be the case. We need to go ahead and just do some, do some, whether he intended to do it or not, do some systematic theology, teach these people uh, the theological reality that I'm presenting them with.
4: I mean, my biggest thing is when we're looking at the outline of issues, just understanding what they were probably meaning in their own context. So one of the biggest issues is just in general when people read these sort of outlines, like as you have an outlined here, I have Keener's commentary pulled up over here, he outlines them. is just understanding the kind of what he is actually trying to drive at, as opposed to what we sometimes think, because one of the biggest sins I think that we do is read Scripture with Western eyes and from the 21st century or some people from the 16th century, depending if you just read, like, reform former commentaries um but um i mean right here like when you have is the center of the letter of justification by faith and righteousness of god in light of wrath like righteousness of god is oftentimes people think is this big thing that's like he's right and there's sin but righteousness oftentimes in romans is dealing with how god's merciful and gracious even to israel from the old testament so there's a lot of these this mirror kind of language that we kind of Hijack some of the meaning when we are not quite—I don't think—fully understanding what he gets at. What he's gonna when it comes to God's righteousness being like covenant faithfulness, stuff like that.
2: Um, yeah, I would also uh, throw Romans seven in in that um, in in in, that, in those sections where you say that are couched in Jewish ways in a Jewish manner. Um, I think Paul is doing no, that thing.
1: Are you talking about the? The speech and character portion, the I, Yeah. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. I know Nick and I have a debate on that on this channel. Uh, yeah, that's a, a, a very Jewish issue and a very Greco-Roman rhetorical
2: device, though.
0: You and Nick have a debate on that on this channel?
2: Yeah, you moderated it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have no memory of this.
5: <laughs> oh, no, you're just kidding. You really no, don't have a memory, but yeah. I don't know oh, what yeah. we're it's talking about. Oh
2: God. yeah, I was I was listening to it on the way back from uh Salado, I believe.
1: Oh yeah. So yeah. who and, is the uh, eye of Romans seven,
2: you know? Well, I mean, I'm I'm still not persuaded either way at the moment, but I tell you who it's not, it's not Paul. Right. Okay. I'm I'm convinced that it's not Paul. Um you know, getting serious. I, we, we we can I, I think the, the the academic eye got something going for it. But considering that he's talking about the law, considering that he's talking to those who who knows uh who know the law, I mean that could that could also, you know, be he could the it, it could be a Jewish eye there. I think I think that has something going for it but so we would need to uh, um make an inference to the best explanation uh considering all the biblical data but it's not paul otherwise you make uh what paul said in romans six uh you, you turn all that on its head and all of what he says in romans eight on his head so and what he says in other epistles on his
1: head. yeah so. but i mean it seems so it's the, you know he's heavily oriented to a gentile audience in 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 chapter one one through fifteen Chapter 11, uh, 13, you know, he specifically calls out I'm talking to you Gentiles in chapter, you know, 11 um, there. And then but you have the, the major theological sections, uh, the first section, then the first four chapters and then chapter nine is so just dominated with Old Testament citations, echoes and allusions, mm-hmm. you know, it raises that issue of how much of a Gentile audience know of the Bible. I mean, I think they could know some. Uh, but you you would have like any congregation, you have some people who know more than others, sure, you know, and then those who are uh, elders of the church would would be the most attuned to that. Um, but you know, uh, I well, like argue. I would, to argue, ask, I would oh. argue
5: that the general sections always wind back to the larger theme, though they, they don't. They're the yes. just like segmented off neatly, other than the chapter markers in our Bibles, because he he always. You can you can see the thread throughout the whole thing where it's Jew, Gentile, Jew, Gentile, because I always go back to he's he's been dealing with that for 20 years. You're getting his reflections on how he dealt with that and how he integrates all those things. And and so it's always and it gets personal and it gets community and there's a little bit of everything because it is pastoral. Uh, but but he, I don't think he ever really separates out. Well, I'm gonna, and and we also know from other letters, I mean, Paul's not exactly known not to chase rabbits, though, too. I mean, uh, right. sometimes he kind of, you know, he'll start to say one thing and when he starts writing another thing, too. Hey, yeah. So there might be some of that going on, too. He goes a little longer than he planned on, especially if he's dictating it. It's I not think like no lost- one in this room did that. You know? Yeah.
1: I think we lost Layton. And I just want the next guest on Layton's. Five hour live streams, Bail early on him. His <laughs> wife, his wife uh,
0: needed him, and you know how that is. If your wife needs you, I want you to get off the stream, Jonathan. And my wife uh, is gonna uh, have to wait, wait pretty soon. My, let's yeah, mo- yeah. let's move forward. This is the last yeah. slide of the whole place. So my wife is gonna, gonna have, have to, to, to wait. wait.
1: Point three. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but, but but I do want to address that that you know talking about how these Briefly? sections relate to each other if this goes back to what kind of Paul do you think is writing here? Because is the center is the heart of the letter. That first portion. Is it that second portion of Romans five, uh, one through eight thirty nine? Is it the uh, section of Romans nine through 11? Is that it? Or is Paul's main concern all of that just to get to the 12 through 15 stuff? Or is it just Paul's talking about all that just because he wants to, talk about what he wants to get out of it in verse 14 through 32 which is actually the only place that kind of gives us an inkling of why he says he's writing so I think we're I so be. yeah I mean I I, I don't know uh, w- which one I think is the center I know the Lutheran Paul wants to favor the first four chapters and then the Calvinists are right along with them until they get to chapter 8 verses 28 and then go through chapter nine and then probably not even read the rest of Romans because they probably don't care. But no, I'm just kidding.
0: And Jonathan, Jonathan.
1: but then you've got, but then you've got all those practical pastoral issues. He's sorting out that I don't think would make sense without all of that prior to it. So I don't know where you find the center.
0: Well, this is bad news because I would have come to you and just said, Jonathan, where's the center of, and you wouldn't have known. Well, (laughs) But you could have given me a TED talk for twenty minutes about it. <laughs> if I had to pick a center, I'd say go back to the
5: church in Israel. But it, it it it's it rings out because that's how we all talk when we're especially when we're dealing with people. And you do have some are less mature, some are more mature, some are leaders, some are just followers, some are barely saved if that's a thing. And it, 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 and so all those things are included. But I I'd probably pick the 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 church in Israel issues is at the is the bullseye. But then the next out, it, it all relates to that because uh, anytime you're presenting anything, you're going to connect it to other things. And he, he establishes that and goes on to the pastoral issues after he lays the foundation.
1: That's the cards I'll play. But Amen. Well, that's yeah. So, I, you know, I that's very pastoral answer, very wise. So we'll... It, it, could not, be right. <laughs> it could be the right answers, Pat. It might be. I mean, there's an awful lot of commentaries. <laughs> it,
5: just, so, know. I mean, but, but most things are that way when you're talking to people. We have yeah. to remember he's writing to a congregation. He's not writing to some theology student. He's he's writing to people that are they've stood up in the front of the room and said, Hey, we got a letter from Paul. Everybody listen up. Here we go. And and yeah. read it. And <laughs> we got some guy that was uh, you know, slave dirt by day, and other guy that was you know, I mean of course, he would have included all those different things. Yeah, especially if he's kind of representing himself in one big
1: kind of reflective uh, treatise. Indeed. Well, yeah. that concludes our stuff. Oh, it, well, there you it, go. It I didn't know it was conclusion. I ended better. We'll, we'll go around <laughs> the room and uh, let let MJ uh, give his thoughts, and then we'll go around, and I'll I'll close
2: this out yeah this was fun um and this um I, i'm enjoying the format here uh certainly um awesome to to listen to everybody's perspective i i want to do a shameless plug uh for a second so me and nick quent um more so nick than myself he presented on the apocalyptic paw on my channel so if you don't, if you want to learn more about that, you can yeah. go check out the urban Christian Institute on YouTube. And that's MJ Jackson, the urban Christian Institute. And so we kind of, um, uh, lay out the apocalyptic perspective. Um, and me, I would consider myself more of a, a modified begrudgingly, uh, holding to, uh, apocalyptic, but I, I think it got a lot going for it. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed tonight, and I enjoyed listening to, to, to everybody, uh, and I'm looking forward uh, to Romans 7 so we can <laughs> annihilate Calvinism. I, everybody runs to In the Romans year 2038, 8. 2038. Yeah. <laughs> everybody runs to Romans 8, Romans 9.
1: I'm, I'm like. We'll be sure to have a Calvinist on. So Come on with can... it. Come on with it. <laughs> we, yeah. can,
2: we can put uh, uh, compatibilism to bed and all that.
0: There you go. Tough talk from MJ Jackson. Yeah, I don't I know.
2: Doubt. You got it.
4: Wes? I think <laughs> MJ Jackson can back it up though. So, uh, no, this is fun. I I'm really enjoying the intro to Romans. There's a lot of debates surrounding, of course, Paul and Romans and all that. I've already given my kind of my thought. I, I'm somewhere between new perspective and apocalyptic. I, but bottom line is, is that there's a lot to consider here. And I think as we consider, as we move forward in this series, as we consider the historical context of what's going on in Rome and Paul's intent of the letter and everything, a lot more Romans is going to come to life as opposed to sometimes the very wooden. Uh, approach that we see so popular in the evangelistic, uh, evangelical, and Baptist reform circles that we oftentimes get. So I'm excited for it. What, uh, Romans is a personal favorite of mine. I really like Romans eight and nine. Actually, even though I'm not a Calvinist, I love Romans nine because I think it kind of actually drives home the uh, this idea of covenantal. Uh, Messianic heritage that's kind of going on there So I'm excited to go forward and start actually Unpacking the text Because that's kind of more my thing is I love to uh, Exegete so um, As far as like longer Endings and shorter endings I just shrug and go I'll take what I got
5: (laughs) (laughs) Brett well, I just want to bless you all. As a, uh, <laughs> Praise <laughs> the Lord. You've been a blessing. You're, you're, you're I, a I, I appreciate, it's an honor to be nominated. It was very good to be here. <laughs> and and uh, uh, it's been a long time since I did a very, very formal study and teaching of Romans. So, uh, but I was always heard it said that you you see the Bible differently as you change. Uh, and you go back. It hasn't changed, but you do change. And so revisiting it after a lot of years and a lot of experience and a lot of seeing a lot of things and going through a lot of a lot of things that brings uh, new information, and it's and it's fun to hear what the what the latest uh, viewpoints are and all that. So, so I'll be I'll be anxious to hear how the discussions go. So, yeah, I don't know and if I uh, get to be in another one. But
0: I want to mention yeah. that in the description there is uh, links to all the channels uh, that were represented here tonight, and I didn't put um, <clears throat> Nick Quint in there, although he's going to be with us at some point, I'm sure. Sub to his channel because we mentioned a lot of his stuff tonight. And uh, you can just click on his profile thing in the chat to go to his channel there. But this has been a blast. I've enjoyed it. And Jonathan, I'm glad you put it together now in the future. Um, uh, maybe we'll have to, I'll have to try and move things along so that we stay a little bit ahead of the flowers. By the way, flowers wanted me to say. Uh, to you, I'm actually having, oh no, he, that's him talking to me. He said, tell Jonathan any guests, uh, that I have who stays on for two hours is welcome to jump off. LOL. <laughs> so anyway, this was great and let, let us know in the comments if you liked this. Of course, if you made it to this part of it, uh, you must have liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, or you dozed off. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I would like to know whether people like this. So we keep it going. Um, it could be hate watching. Yeah. Could,
1: yeah. There was definitely so much happening
0: yeah. tonight on this channel. <laughs>
1: Tell you next, next week um <laughs> hopefully most of us will be here we'll try to keep bringing in uh new faces as well as just getting used to our faces uh we'll be getting into romans chapter one verses one through seven uh if you guys want to dive into that and hear what we have to say next week we hope that you come back thursday nights at six thirty for the biblical rogues gallery we hope to have more rogues come in next time and by the way most of the time it will be on trinity radio uh, but sometimes we may need a break, but the show will go on, so you will find it either at uh, MJ's channel, maybe sometime in the future for, for one Thursday night off or, or on the church split one Thursday night. Most of the time here, we'll give you plenty of advance notice if we're going to have to move it to another thing because Braxton's bored or tired of it or whatever, or he's doing something less important than video games like actually preaching the gospel in a church, which we hope that you will invite him to your church. So that and that fault. was that was
0: like the biggest segue I've yeah. ever seen. I, somehow video games made it in. I don't even know what that was about. And
1: well, just like Brett came to impart a spiritual gift, Braxton would like to uh, have some fruit among your congregations as exactly. well. Braxton, I'd
4: like to formally invite you to my church. Oh, praise <laughs>
1: the, Lord. praise <laughs> the Lord! I will accept. It's been
0: done. This coming Sunday, I'll be
5: this there. This Coming Sunday, that's how that. You works, don't want to miss it.
0: Well, All right, it was gonna blast.
1: Um, yep. Do you want to close this out, Jonathan? with prayer oh okay dear heavenly father we just thank you so much for this time of fellowship with uh those who showed up for the round table all those in the chat who are talking lord god i just pray that you will give your church the same spirit of unity that your spirit that dwells in all of us would have us to have Paul's aim with the book of Romans was unifying congregations. So, Lord God, even if we have a little fun and and take shots here and there, that it's all it, it just it just as you know, no harm intended. Just having fun and fellowship, and we can take the shots as much as we give them. And, Lord God, we just pray that you'll take this uh, ministry that we have on our, all of our YouTube channels and in our local churches. Lord God, that we can be a blessing to our communities and that we can bring you glory and proclaim your gospel to all. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thank you. Right. and We will see you next Amen. time on Trinity Radio.